Hello, and before you get started on this episode of Zap to the Past, we would just like to give a massive shout out to the following people Andy Marsh, Paul Hutchinson, David Hearn, Sven Osa, 2000DC, Gary Heather, Roger McNally, Lee Dove, Mark Fletcher, Etienne Vettenfeld, Niall Bullitt, Alexander Gosling, Tim TJ Walker, Phil Sowerby, Joshua K, Dominic Kendrick, Rune P, Nick James, Daniel Spreadbury, Peter Price, Richard Davy, Denny's B, AL82 Retro, Liam Carew, Dylan Darch, Trevor Planner, Alistair McMillan, Mark Schutz, Lee Sparkles, Dan Wales, Gary Wilson, Oscar Jacobson, Brian Howarth, Rob Clayton, Clyde Radcliffe, and Juan Luis Sanchez. These amazing people have backed our patron at the C64 tier, and the support they offer is just awesome. If you want to join them and get a mention in next month's shout out, access to our Discord server, early access to ad-free episodes along with any special releases we may put out along with anything else we can think of and sign up by the 18th of the month at patreon.com forward slash zap to the past for little more than the price of a pint of beer it helps us keep playing the games so you don't have to Welcome to episode 124 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 49 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were blown away by Bomb Fusion, horrified by Human Killing Machine, and rambled around the realm of the trolls. This week, we conclude our look at the games in May 1989, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, tell us the order of proceedings for this week's episode. In this brain melter of an episode, where we explore exactly how much melted sugar-based confectionery is considered an adequate appetite suppressant for school children, we walk, kick, punch and fidget our way through some odd time travel-based tomfoolery in the sequel that isn't a sequel, Renegade 3, the final chapter jump into the cockpit of our Starfire-class warship, only to realise it's actually a blocky load of rubbish in the stupid speed zone. We litter the ocean with depth charges and then dive amongst the oddly scaled subterranean worlds and giant blamanges of the deep and grab our aviator shades, slip into our whitest navy uniform and head over to the aircraft carriers and empty skies of F-14 Tomcat. While it's early days for the research, the eggheads in the lab have at least discovered that the optimal dimensions of a sugar-based confectionery appetite suppressant, that's not easy to say, seems to be very small and neat. Curious. While they remain totally focused on that, we once again head into the weird abstract arcade conversion zone with yet another NAF game found in the Never Heard of It room with The Last Duel, take a trip to the gangster-filled streets and lay down the law in the Aldi Untouchables world of Chicago 30s, carefully place some brown lenses over our eyes as they age more rapidly than our minds in the utterly excitementless journey to the centre of the Earth, before finally heading back into the cockpit of another interstellar ship, this time flying around the blackness, dots and occasional planets of Ace 2088. 
My goodness, thankfully, May is finally over and with it goes a load of expensive and downright rubbish software. Some of these software publishing companies need poking with a sharp, pointy stick. I wish they weren't. I wish, I wish. <laughs> I wish, I wish, I wish I had a fish. You should never wish things like that. You know what? <laughs> these are just, they are what they are. Pieces they are the games that they're in front of us. We've got a f- uh, this is a, a packed episode. Uh, May is a two two parter, so we we're going to after mm. this May's done. We've got crapverts. There's mm. all kind of the outro with all the bits. We had the shout out at the beginning. There's all kinds of stuff going on. It's a big it's episode. All going on. Eight games to get through. Maybe even a bonus ninth. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so I, I don't think we need much preamble. So we just get into the games. Just get going. I think we should. We Let's just, get just going. do it. Let's just do it. And our first one, uh, well, it's the it's the third third instalment. This is Renegade Three, the final chapter. <laughs> uh, this was nine pound ninety five from Imagine. I think it was Imagine, wasn't it? Not Ocean. It's Imagine. And yeah, this is the <laughs> well, uh, Renegade Three, the final chapter from Imagine. We've got a. It's not a sequel. It's not an arcade conversion. Sorry, it no, is a sequel, not. but it's not an arcade conversion. This is another sequel to the sequel that was not an arcade conversion. It was a sequel mm. to an arcade conversion. There you go. They've just gone off on their own here. Isn't it weird that they did that? Like, you wouldn't imagine it now where you just went and did your own remake to someone else's IP and just like, I'm going to make a remake to Robocop. Would you? <laughs> yeah, we're going to do Robocop 2. It's already been done. No, not this way. We're doing it. We're doing our version. It's just really weird that they did that. We're doing Target Robocop. It's just weird. It's just a weird thing to think of and do. Going, oh, I should make a sequel to someone's game. We didn't make that game. We didn't invent that. <laughs> don't know god knows what the licensing issues were anyway we have a regular pairing here from ocean imagine with zach townsend on code andrew hey. slay and rob hemphill on visuals Ooh. and jonathan dunn on music wowzer we've seen those names before apart from rob hemphill this is the only game i could find that he was on on visuals but andrew mm. slay and zach townsend have worked together on things like army moves platoon rambo 3 typhoon okay, so, uh, there's a pedigree there yeah there's a there's a there's, well some of them are better than others Platoon was, whatever, Typhoon yeah, was. Yeah, 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 some good stuff in there. Yeah, so they're clearly familiar with each other's work by this point. They're clearly, you know, they've got a, they've got a rapport, a working rapport, shall yep. we say. Someone was buying the sandwiches and someone was buying the coffees. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Not saying who, but somebody was. Uh, <laughs> as with Target Renegade said before, this is a home computer-only sequel, no arcade version to be seen. The story for this, though, has taken something of a turn. Oh, I'll just read from the uh, documents. Once again, take on the exciting role of Renegade. When was that your name? Is that his name? René Gade. It's French. <laughs> René. Oh, René. <laughs> René. Oh, René. You are spoiling us, René. <laughs> I was just pissing by the door when I beat this guy up. <laughs> the fallen Madonna with the big boobies. <laughs> René, René Gade. Yeah, I love it. Sorry, you might have to explain what we've just done because there's going to be people that wonder why we even did that. <laughs> with Heidi Hyde. <laughs> <laughs> go, just go watch the terrible British soap. Oh, so, no, sorry, sitcom from the uh, the 80s called Heidi High, which was based in the French I mean, uh, hello, hello. resistance. Oh, hello, hello. Yeah, God like. My, you could watch Heidi brain. High as well if you want. <laughs> it's not got any French people Ooh, in it. You'll wonder really? why we were speaking in funny accents. <laughs> oh, Renegade. <laughs> the, the word, Ruth Maddox. <laughs> anyway, Renegade in inverted commas, is the martial arts hero with street cred and you rest... Uh, anyway, once again, take on the exciting role of renegade, <laughs> the martial arts hero with street cred and rescue your girlfriend being held captive by forces from the future. Oh, it's been written by a chimpanzee again, hasn't it? <laughs> in a final attempt to thwart you, the captors take their hostage back in time 
to the what? era of prehistoric man and the land of dinosaurs. <laughs> Why? Why not? Why that far back in time? 200 years would have been inconvenient for anybody who don't have a time machine. It does kind of irrelevant, really. I'll come to the time machine shenanigans a bit later, but anyway. Oh, now, back through the ages, ancient Egypt with the living dead, medieval knights and dragons all conspire to impede your progress. <laughs> the journey through these time zones is a hazard, hazardous mission and involves battling with the inhabitants of each era who display their particular weaponry to advantage. <laughs> 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 but beware <laughs> tarry too long and you'll be trapped in history forever we're all trapped in history forever that's time renegade faces his toughest task ever renegade rene renegade faces his toughest task ever you can't ever. see it now <laughs> battling with opponents he never knew existed he never studied not a historian then <laughs> never heard of like cavemen mummies yeah, well, Nights, to be fair, he's, he's been trapped in a fictional time, hasn't he? Because that's true. I don't remember a time where there was walking mummies and dragons, but okay, go with the you know, go with the flow. Well, it's a place he, opponents he never knew existed, and in places he could only read about or dream about. If he dreamt about them, he's heard of them, so he knows about them. This is stupid. So my comment here just says, hmm, whatever. This, so this has now become a game about time travel for some reason. I don't know why. Anyway, what this means is we get a decent loading screen, I guess, of the advert of uh, Unusual Ocean Loader Tune. That loading screen clues us in to what to expect as our hero is kicking a mummy in the face whilst a robot tries to grab his legs and a caveman leaps from a ledge behind him. It's all happening. It's still going on. It's like, like a night of gullies. Confused? You will be. <laughs> yeah, no more beating up punks in New York. Not this time. Yeah. No. I, I, I get behind that. This is, uh, I don't know. Anyway, the title screen is a scrolling <laughs> background of the various levels you'll be playing through, of which there will be four. And we get the credits for the game along with the name of the game at the top. There's also a decent tune from Mr. Dunn, all bass and drums, which sets the tone for a renegade game quite well. I quite like the music. Drum and bass, did you say? This. No, it's bass and drums. Oh. Different. It's a whole different genre. <laughs> You'd see the bass comes before the drums. Got to learn to listen. <laughs> yeah, if you don't understand that, I'm not explaining it to you again. <laughs> we did this for hours the other week. <laughs> anyway, pressing fire gets us into the game. We get a relatively nice fade of the background visuals and a message Ooh. saying, hey, Renegade, go rescue your girl. And an overly long intro ditty from Dunn. It does, that's a, something <laughs> it's really finished. overly long. So I was like, God, just get into it. God, just, just shut up. And then the game starts. UIs at the bottom, showing your energy bar, your score, lives remaining, and the timer that counts down for the level. This takes up a small part of the screen, and the rest is the game window. Controls are simple, for the most part, left and right at the start, because you start on a platform that runs across the top of the screen, and it's only 2D controls. And it's right <laughs> here that you'll start to wonder if this is actually a sequel to Renegade, and not actually, or is, it, is this just another Dragon Ninja game? Mm, mm. 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 Looks shiftily around. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> enemies will rush on from left and the right, and the enemies here in this opening level, there's a small ca Captain Caveman-type character and a taller green dinosaur. It's the two you're going to be fighting. Your fighting moves are jump kick, so you can do a jump kick, you can do a right or left punch, and you can do a low punch or kick, okay? And that, that's it, you hold up with the fire button and stuff. And the speed at which the monsters come at you, again, feels more like Dragon Ninja and not Renegade. This feels weird. 
doesn't mm. feel right. However, dun, 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 you may dun. notice some holes in the wall below you as you're walking along, and climbing down these gets you to the bottom level, where it now becomes more like more like a belt scroller with up and down movement in the level. So you've now got a bit of a 3D platform to sort of walk along the sort of ground. <clears throat> the enemies, however, continue apace. And if you've not noticed it already, you'll notice that your attacking moves are barely adequate for the task ahead of you. Punching needs to be time accurate, and with the speed the enemies move and the slowness with which you attack, this very quickly becomes annoying in the extreme. Enemies damage you by just walking through you or doing attack moves which are quicker than yours. And exactly every single criticism we said about Dragon Ninja can just be transposed onto this game. All of it. Every single one. This doesn't feel like a renegade game in any way whatsoever. The constant enemies are not what belt scrollers are about. Those games are considered and not just a slew of spawning nonsense where your moves can barely keep up. I was expecting a decent renegade game here, but what we have is a Dragon Ninja game with a bit of depth on the bottom level. Not that it matters, because the, the other thing is as well, in a, uh, in a belt scroller where you can move up and down, the enemies, they can track you, but you, you can get a bit away from them. But not here, because the speedy enemies home in on your Y coordinate. Kind of makes being able to move them down the level completely redundant, because they just home in on you. You can't get away from them. That little dinosaur that pops out from the egg, you've got no chance. He's just always going to hit you. Just rubbish. There are weapons you can get. You can get a club in the first level. Uh, and the levels do progress, with the second level being Egyptian-themed with mummies, mummies sorry, and Horus-style enemies to kill. Like a sort of dog-head Horus. Did you say mummers? I might have said mummers. It's a mummers fast, <laughs> this. That's what this is. Mummies. <laughs> I meant to say mummies. Mummies and Horus-style enemies to kill. Uh, then level three is, is medieval with knights and jesters. And finally, the last level Whatever. has you fighting robots and aliens on a spaceship. Whatever. Should you get through all these levels, then <laughs> and this is the point where I'm like, I just was like, what? You get an ending mm. where a time machine appears and you get in it and disappear and then <laughs> get the message that it was all pointless because your girlfriend freed herself and rescued you with the time machine, which begs the question, where's your time machine to be going from prehistoric <laughs> to Egypt <laughs> to medieval to the future, you yes, know? exactly. Just stupid. Anyway, okay, okay. The ending's fair enough. It's, it's, you know, it's a bit of a funny. It turns the sort of turning the usual rescuing the girl trope on its head a bit. But you know, okay, fair enough. It's a bit of a laugh. But the game itself, it's not a renegade game. It's not. It isn't. The graphics are generally quite nice. There's well drawn backgrounds and sprites, although they do look a bit mismatched. They've got they've got that high res Dragon Ninja style um, yes. and that sort of imagined yes, style that high res overlay kind of sprites going on, and they do look okay. And they're fast and they move about quite okay. And the animation's pretty decent. Gra the background graphics are a little bit bitty, but they're okay. They kind of just pull it off. And the music throughout from uh, Dunn is is a decent quality, like I said. But the game itself, it's just annoying and it's dull to play. I don't think the C64 with with one button and lack of sprites is really built to do a decent belt scroller. I mean, Target Renegade was okay but for the time, but we had issues in that it was just a bit empty. Yes, A bit did. empty. But it's way better than this, though. Way, way, way better than this nonsense. Yes, um, it is. So I don't doubt that this is well-coded and put together, but it just it's another Dragon Ninja, just with a bottom level which has got some depth to it. And it's just a constant enemy spawner game, which these kind of games are generally not. You can plan, you know what's coming up. You, you, you're classic, you're classic Golden Act, or you're Renegade, or whatever. Or you, you, know, you yeah. know what enemies are about to appear you can get ready for them. This is just a constant onslaught. I was quite looking forward to this. I like these kind of games, and I hadn't played this, and I thought, you know, it got a good review. We'll talk about reviews, but it's got a sizzler. It was 90%. Unbelievable. Them saying that it was the best Renegade game yet, but it's not a Renegade no. game. I was thoroughly disappointed with this. It's just another one of those things where they're just churning out these type of things that look all that all look like this. They're all, they're all clearly using the same graphics routine. Yeah. Um, Robocop, this. They're all... And they're, I can see why. They're all in-house. They're all doing the same thing, whatever. But this is just a, an annoyance. I, felt, I found this really, really dull to play and just annoyed me very quickly. And 
looking forward to it, but terrible. Really not great. What about you? How did you feel? Well, I'm not going to add a lot to what you said because I pretty much agree with everything. Well, I, I do agree with everything, not pretty much. That would uh, align to me not agreeing with something. And I agree with everything you've said. It had an okay title screen and okay loading music, which was the kind of loading music that starts with that weird sound. Very jarring, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of sound like, wow, but it's good. It's really good, really good. Okay, fine. Sets the scene. No, it doesn't. The music in the game was okay as well. But come on, there's buggy, flickery sprites here. There's, but don't get me wrong. Yeah, graphics, sprites, nice. They did look nice, but they were flicky and flickering all over the place. There was clearly some kind of problem with the with the way that they... And I think, actually, the reality of it is this. From a technical perspective, I think they've just tried to... There's so much going on. They've tried to cram so many enemies on the screen to make it so it's less like Target Renegade, which had not enough enemies. But the price you pay for doing that is the same problem that, oddly enough, Dragon Ninja had and Robocop and all of those have. Mm. Bugs. Bugs appear. So... And they're kind of unforgivable, really, because that makes this... I mean, the backgrounds, I didn't think, looked very good, I have to say. That cave at the beginning with the yeah, caveman in it was, blo- was bloody awful. Um, just grey slabs of dreariness. They're okay, but the sprites, okay, they didn't look too bad. The controls just seem completely uncoordinated and not very responsive for the game. These games, they live and die by your ability to pull off even simple moves and do them well. That's why all the Final Fight games, that's why all those kind of Capcom games, that's why... Golden Axe and all those derivatives of that. That's how they that's because they have very simple moves. Kind of a they normally have a power move, a charging move, kind of a side swipe move, and that kind of thing. If you stick to the logic of that, and it doesn't require lots of complicated joystick chicanery, but it, you're gonna ha- have yourself something. But did they do that here? Not really. So anyway, I could barely attack anyone off, attack uh, any let alone fight anything off, because there was so much coming at me all the time. The moves kind of felt indistinct. I just, you know what? I went through almost the entire level by doing that one flying boot attack. Because he does this move where he just sort of lunges forward with one foot like, Dah! like he's like, smell my foot kind of move, and it's smell my feet. <laughs> I also don't like the way the main character looks in this one either. No, honest. no. Looks like a bother boy. He looks like one of the thugs from Target Renegade. It's not really what I would have expected at this point with this. And it certainly wasn't what I expected looking at all of the brouhaha and zap. I mean, I could, I flying booted my way across pretty much that entirely first level. There's no real challenge to this other than you've just got to make sure you can hit as much as they can hit you. The enemies are just relentless in this, which is really annoying because these games aren't like that. I thought the backgrounds are horrible. So many bugs. Um, did you ever? Did you pick up the Caveman Club? It was laughable when you did that. Yeah, yeah. Laughable because yeah. when I swung it, he sort of it appeared over his head at times. It was yeah. like it's just it's just buggy. You know, there's a, clearly a problem with the multiplexer. The second level when I, when I got past the first one, got to Egypt. In all fairness, the mummy sprites were really good. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. they did really look the part. But everything that was wrong with level one was also wrong with level two, including the bugs and everything else. I didn't I didn't actually get any further than that because by this point I was fed up with flickering and juddering around. I did carry my weapon over from level one to level two, which was interesting, which meant I just had another buggy thing we- weaving <laughs> over my head. Um, so graphics, okay. The game, it's not very good. It has to be said. Controls are not responding properly. The player was just endlessly attacked over and over by enemies you could barely do anything about because the moves didn't quite work. It's just a brain dead experience. It felt completely brain dead. And then finally, my last thought was 90%, was it? Mm. It's Sizzler. No way. Mm-hmm. No way. This is a buggy, broken game. It doesn't work properly. There's no way. This is no way it's a Sizzler. No way it's 90% absolutely it's a travesty it's a travesty that this got more than grand prix circuit in the last episode yeah by a factor of about 20 percent. it is an absolute travesty this is broken it's buggy get lost no at best you could give this based on its graphics and the music maybe you could give it 
30, 40% because of those things. But what, you haven't got a playable game here, not really. It functions, but badly. Nah, no, nah, I don't agree with Zappa with that score. I think it's, I think it's, the, there's a backhander, there's a brown envelope with some cash in it going somewhere, <laughs> definitely there. There's no way. And I'm sure the players, you know, the listeners of this podcast who, who play along with the games will discover exactly as I've discovered. It wasn't a game I'd played. I don't think I'd either had not played it or I'd not played it much, but I'd there's a reason for it. that because it is utterly, utterly rubbish. And for the money they're wanting, and for the kind of brouhaha that they tried to create with it, because the advert was kind of all over the place, rubbish. No, 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 no. It's not the final chapter. It's the final crapter, and it can get lost. <laughs> there you go. There's two games which I go back to, sort of thing, when I think about these. We go all the way back to episode issue 16, and you, you talk about sort of a spawning enemy game that's done well, and that's Green Beret. Um, mm. So Green Beret gets the ratio right, gets the speed right, is it flickering? Oh, there is a little bit flickering, but not terribly, but but it gets the ratio right. And then if we think about how to do combat, we th- I think about um, Samurai Warrior. You know, yeah. the, the three types of moves. You've got the quick move, the medium move, and the slow move. And you know, all done on one stick. You could easily incorporate yeah. that into a game like this and make it... like You could do a belt squalor with the Samurai Warrior moveset and keep it at that pace. Mm. That would be much yeah, better. They could, but they could they do that. And bigger sprites as well. They don't. You don't have to go for this look, but they do, don't they? Because they're using the same engine, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. So no, sorry, not my cup of tea. This because it's uh, poisoned. No, I don't want to drink it. <laughs> I wouldn't. Who knows where it's been? Been many places in time. There we go. There's Renegade Three, the final crapter. Let's move along. I'm sure the next game will be even better. And Graham, that's over to you. Sorry to enter the speed zone. It sounds exciting when it's got a name like Speed Zone, doesn't it? <laughs> really, it really good. isn't though. This is 199 pence to you. <gasps> One pence. I'll get. I'll tell you what. You can have a penny off. Give us two quid. I'll give you a penny change. How's that? Ten um, percent mm. though in Zap, which means it's rubbish, doesn't it? Or does it? Because you know, it could, Zap scoring has gone, gone out the window. It could mean anything. Doesn't <laughs> mean we don't mean know anything. what it means. Who knows what that means? This is published by Mastertronic. Um, this is alleged. Well, it's apparently copyright PAL developments. Now they're the guys that did Bomb Fusion. So, Maybe. Anyway, anyway, apparently it's developed by Silicon Design. Um, that's Silicon, not Silly. I'm not going to say it. Um, <laughs> and the graphics are Dennis Hickey and the musicians, your favourite, Julian Potts. Not having a good day, though, here. I'll tell you yeah, that much. It's not. Um, okay. Anyway, we all have bad days. Just to give you the quick rundown on the blurb. Enter the speed zone in a frantic defence against marauding alien forces. Many vessels have disappeared without trace in the region of space known as the Sarek Colinar Anomaly. We're just throwing Star Trek references in like crazy here. That's um, Spock's dad, I think. And that's the Colinar Ritual. Anyway, okay. <laughs> the region is better known in spacefaring circles as the Speed Zone. The survey ship Heart of Epsilon <laughs> has been sent into this area to find if a safe passage can be found through the area. Used area twice, sorry. Um, to protect the survey ship, a Starfire-class attack craft has been sent with it, captained by Captain Bjorn Andrum. <laughs> I love the name. Okay. Bjorn Andrum. Okay, he's, on the, he's on the cover as well, isn't he, Bjorn? With he is. Like, Good old with Bjorn. Helmet, helmet and gun. Good old Bjorn Andrum. And then after this, he went on to form a popular 70s um, four-piece band. <laughs> Beat combo. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, without warning, an ominous blip appeared on the ship's long-range scanners. As the blip draws closer... Um, I think they prefer the term radar ping or something like that. <laughs> no, blip. Uh, visual... That's the official term. <laughs> it's a blip. <laughs> visual confirmation reveals an enemy vessel bursting with armaments or pointing the same way at you, <laughs> right at your face. The attack craft is launched and the battle is on. More blips appear and you are heavily outnumbered. Nevertheless, the... nevertheless is one word, isn't it? 
Uh, the fate of the crew yeah. of the survey ship is now in your hands. The battle is on. You've already said that. Said it twice. <laughs> kind of repeating yourself here. Bunch of crazies. Okay, that's the blurb. This is it. So here we go. This is essentially an unfinished, crappy vertical shoot 'em up. Okay, but it is what it is. Everything moves around too fast. Your bullets seem to burst out of you more than shoot. There are no enemy explosions that I could see when I shot things, and your energy quickly drains, and then you'll lose a life, which you'll be glad of because it will mean the it'll expedite your exit from this crap awful game aside from an okay title screen i guess it's okay if you call it that and a really weird and off the chart shrill and bonkers <laughs> music score yeah. it's really um, odd isn't it i don't know what he's really about. the remaining graphics are generally passable sprites with the exception of the weird expanded sprite splat in the top right hand corner <laughs> of the game which i think is meant to look like a tardis in that first level i thought it was uh one of the things you flip eggs with yeah it could be yeah an egg flipper um, so whatever it may be in there. Term. What's that? Well, no, the second thing because when you get to the, there's one in each level and it's in the top right corner. You'll notice it because you can't avoid it. Mm. The second thing looked like a blocky coat hanger. Yeah. Um, anyway, no idea what they are or what they're for because that's never explained and you'll never figure it out. The game window is fourth this Starfield background at warp speed, and a fifth is a column on the right, and that's its UI with its score, energy, lives in a spectrum font. So maybe that's uh, telling you something. Mm, very much indeed. This is. Potentially, I think, a game from the Spectrum ported by someone that did not give a shit about the game or anyone who might be buying it. That's that's a fact. You zoom around your ship around with a joystick, more or less uncontrollably. Fire shoots bursts, as I've said, of bullets, and wave after wave of spinny and wobbly line enemies will athwart your progress. Nothing else is really here. If you get to the end of the level, which you can do by just waiting, by the way, you'll jump to the next wave, which is the same background, more waves of spinny, spinny, and such, and a new splat in the corner. And that's it. That's all you get. <laughs> this is a terrible game that sounds horrible, looks kind of passable, I suppose, and yet has all the fun of a hit replacement. It ain't no good. It ain't no good at all. One ninety nine is too much for this. It got ten percent. It probably should have got zero percent. I, I didn't. I don't think it was finished. It was utterly rubbish. It should never have been released. Did you enjoy it? God no. <laughs> Even for two quid, this is tripe of the highest order. Isn't this it is just dreadful? I like. I quite like the title screen with the bouncing planets the music as you said it's odd but at least it's it's different <laughs> it's, odd it's, is the word <laughs> it's different and i even quite like the intro to the games you get dropped off and that sort of space 1999 sort of craft just drops you off oh yeah <laughs> i know i was like thinking okay because you said you, you warned me about this game but then the game happens is it supposed to be running that fast uh well i thought i had on warp I, I was did. like, oh god it's not then i put it on warp to see what would happen and it was like <laughs> wow it was like the like the end of 2001 yeah, of Space so, Odyssey. Yeah, I was like, my I eyes had well. to go funny colours. <laughs> I thought I was entering the infinite. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I had to do a barbarian. I had to pull away like a, a, an animated barbarian. <laughs> you woke up and saw, you saw an old version of yourself playing the piano. You're like, oh, weird. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. I've entered the speed zone. <laughs> oh, awful, awful, awful yeah. vertical scrolling shoot with awful waves of enemies that just move yeah. around like... It's just <laughs> somewhat just slow slow it down slow I never it down see a bit. to be fair good coding to get it running this fast no it's not good coding no, i know That's it's the not. problem just, it's, it's like <laughs> slow it slow it down a bit you know don't have it moving so fast terrible visuals terrible feel as things move at such a blistering speed it's hard to really understand what this really is beyond utter dog egg a two pound bastard what i call this <laughs> I'm, I'm digging that yeah it is it actually is That's yeah. awful. God, it made me, think, no, of Kenny, made, made me think of Kenny Loggins as well. Well, aren't these the kind of games that should have been coming out like three or four years ago? Well, this is a 1984 game. Yeah, I mean, that's doing games that came out in 1984 a disservice because if this came out in 1984, it'd still be 
utter dog egg. It would be. I just yeah. don't get why it's out now. Is it? Did it get caught in the time bubble from Renegade? Oh, I don't know. Or something. When he came back through time, he had this stuff in his pocket. He didn't know how. <laughs> Some caveman had put it in there. God knows <laughs> Mas- where it came from. And Virgin Mastertronic decided to release it. Dreadful yeah. thing. A dreadful thing. Let's let's move out of the speed zone quickly. Do do what it says and leave it alone because we've got the next one coming up. It's okay. So uh, this is the deep from US Gold. This is ten pounds. Ten pounds. That's heavy. Um, and I think this is one of, if not the most obscure arcade conversion we have yet to see. Yeah, yeah, they were definitely down the old uh, arcade obscura for this one. <laughs> so what is this? Originally released in the arcades in 1987 by Wood Place Incorporated. You mean you'd never heard of that? <laughs> no. I went looking. I, well, I was like, who? That can't be right. I went looking for information on Wood Place Incorporated. All I could find on this really sort of odd w- website was that they were formed by Masao Suzuki in 1984 after he'd left mm. um, Nichibutsu uh, in 1982. And they released just six games, the Deep wow. being one of them before they went bankrupt in 1988. Because somebody played the deep and went, wait a minute, this is rubbish. And then they went, oh, no. I think they did that fire trap as well. Okay, well, that wasn't too bad. It wasn't, it wasn't no. And in the arcade, this isn't, this is, so it looks like an okay, it's an okay, whatever. But yeah, I don't yeah. think it was ever going to get people's you know money much. I couldn't find any kind of reference to in uh, so-and-so. This was number 12 in October 1989. No, there was none of that. It was nowhere ever. It just sank. <laughs> You know, literally, yeah. the name gave it away. I can only imagine then, with the company had gone bankrupt, maybe this was cheap to pick up. So it's like, oh, we'll take that. It was converted to all the machines of the day, the Specky, Amstrad, ST, and even IBM PCs. Um, yeah. And so here we are to look at the C64 version as well. I don't know if there's a loading screen. I couldn't find one, but the title screen is boring, um, I have yeah, to say. Yeah, that's the word. Um, basically, it just has the game screen, but with some text on it for the high scores. And it also tells us this is copyright Cream Core, which is a... <laughs> which is an odd name. That ain't a good name for anything. It sounds like something I want nothing to do with. I don't want anything yeah. to do with the Cream Corps. No, you no. know, they're a branch of the military you don't want to mess with. <laughs> you really don't. You no, know, I think there's a character in Sonic called Cream the Rabbit, just so you know. Right, okay. Uh, there's no Pat, sound beyond the weak... There. <laughs> there's, no sound of, uh, there's no sound beyond the weak pinging of what I guess is supposed to be a uh. sonar sound. So, yeah, you press fire, starts the game. The high scores disappear and your ship appears. So so the, the game is split. So you've got this game screen. So across the top, we've got three sections for the UI. The first is the number of depth charges you have left to drop because that's what you'll be firing with. They slowly refill over time. So as you run out, they'll slowly refill. How many pods you have collected to change into, and I'll come to what they are in a moment. The middle box on my version just constantly said the Deep Hall of Fame. So I think that might have been a bug because the version I watched on YouTube has like a Defender-style radar in the middle. So my version may have been a little broken. I don't know. I don't think it was too broken because the gameplay looked exactly the same. On the right at the top top is your score, the level, and the lives (laughs) all crammed into that really tiny space in the top right. Right. They had all the top to sort of do some stuff with, and they just crammed everything up there. Just, ah, cram it. Um, the rest of the screen is the game, um, and this is split into two. At the top is the sort of surface of the ocean. There's some waves, and I say waves. They're just some pixels. And your boat, which moves left and right. It's a 2D game, so you move left and right. And there's what I presume is a lighthouse on a, like a cliff or something in the background. I think that's what it was. Beneath this, beneath this sort of blue, so you've got blue sky and a little bit of darker blue sort of ocean. But beneath this then uh, is the 
dark black murk of the ocean. And when I say black, I mean black. It's black. It's just big. It's dark. It's just black. As you start, this area of the screen starts to scroll along, revealing massive constructions. I don't know what they are, <laughs> but they are massive con- compared to your boat. Yes. <laughs> and the submarines yeah. and stuff that go past. These constructions are built by God knows what, but they are huge. Whoppers. And, and I don't know what they are. There's something or other. But so what happens is enemy subs start to move in from side to side along the bottom. These are at various depths, and they'll slowly release mines towards the surface. There are other enemies will sort of start to appear as well, such as a, a, a pink blob. I don't know what that is. It will move slowly move to the surface, move about a little bit, and then go back down again. There are whatever there are. That there's thing. also there's a there's a random shape that does laps near the bottom. I don't know there what is. I don't know what it is. So to combat Deep this, to fish. Com- <laughs> It's one of those ugly fish, whatever. They to combat yeah, this, you can fish, drop yeah. you can drop depth charges to blow up everything. Anything they hit, uh, even the mines that are coming up, you can blow up everything. You need to do this until what happens is a glowing pod appears near the bottom of the ocean at some point. It'll just stop, and that's what happens. So the screen at this point will stop scrolling, and what happens is you get these kind of you know buoys or bubbles or sort of pods or whatever that comes to the surface, and one they'll pop at the surface and they'll sort of have a letter next to them, and you want to collect one that says P. There are some power ups to collect as well. Um, things like O, which turned your, I think, your bullets into sort of more harpoony type things. There's other bits as well, but you want to collect these P. As this gives you a pod, you can see that above your um, depth charges on your UI. And should you collect that, you can then press space. And now this transforms you into a diving pod that you can then control under the water, moving left, right, up, down, and to the corners. You can shoot in all directions. And what you've got to do then is just go to the bottom, pick up the the glowing thing that's at the bottom of the ocean, and go back to the surface with a glowing pod. Try not to hit anything get back to surface if you get back to surface you turn back into a ship really weird it's like some kind of weird transformer Very but it k- kicks the scrolling off again and you have to do this about three or four times so you scroll along avoid stuff wait for a thing collect a pod go down collect it go back wait for scrolling do it repeat if you do that about two uh, three or four times you move on to the second part which is a single you don't so you just stop scrolling and then a large slip ship not slip large ship appears on the other side of the screen away from you on top of the ocean and you have to sort of bomb it but the way you blow you have to i don't i don't even know what these are but you have a sort of slingshot type missile you hold down fire and it fires it downwards until you let go and then it curves upwards and you kind of have to time these as it's moving towards you really mm. an odd mechanic really weird i don't know if it's supposed to be a missile a sort of torpedo or something that you're firing and it sort of acts upwards anyway you've got to hit it three times you do it it blows up and that starts the um uh scrolling again the more ships to loot, uh, and and by this point you'll just be bored. Just be bored. Yep. It's so boring. There's no music. There's barely any sound. The game is janky around the edges. Nothing feels particularly polished. There's a big raster glitch between the surface and the sea. Um, it's there is. Just flickering away there like a flickering. You mean nightmare. you've never noticed that before when you've been on the ocean? <laughs> well, no. no. I don't know what the tourists are pumping into the ocean these days. Could be a massive raster glitch for all I know. Just raster glitches into the ocean. (laughs) That would be terrible. The visuals are ugly. There's odd colours. There's no real feel of being at sea. In the arcade, it was all nicely shaded in blues and stuff, and you had sort of wibbly, and it was the chips and stuff were all good. Scales all over the place. I mean, I think I'm in a destroyer or something dropping depth charges, but those things at the bottom, they're massive. And they're, you know, there's submarines coming it's just stupid i don't know i think that pink thing is supposed to be a jellyfish it's when has a jellyfish been able to that destroy a destroyer one big jellyfish <laughs> I think yeah, that's well, what it is that's a 20 footer <laughs> 25 <laughs> all three tons of jelly <laughs> give me the ice cream <laughs> 
scale is all over the place. It's, it's a bland, bland, bland experience just from the moment this loads up. It's a weird release, this. It's not very good. It's £10 from US mm. Gold. It got 38% somehow. It's just no. This is a bad thing. It's boring, really boring, and really ugly and horrible, and just don't play very well. Don't bother with this. Let it sink into the deep to never be remembered again. <laughs> what did you think of the deep? <laughs> what did I think of this? Another. As soon as I saw it, I was like, US Gold, an arcade conversion. I just imagine like an Indiana Jones guy running down some kind of ancient tunnel and coming across that arcade going, we must convert this. People need to see this game. <laughs> it's in the warehouse. Where do they find these things? It's like a top men found this one. It's another conversion slips out of the US gold book of complete obscure garbage. Graphically yeah. on the poorer side, I suppose is what you could say. Marginal effort to make the objects look nautical or at least ocean-based, I guess, in some instances. Others, they just went, ah, just make it into a giant pink splat. Mm-hmm. There's loads of them in the ocean. Nobody's been down that far. Nobody knows what's down there. It's just a big jelly thing. Full of weird nonsensical rubbish. And as you say, really weird scaling issues that actually defy belief. They defy belief. Some of those fish are the size of submarines. And that's a scary size of fish, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it had a weird leaning. And I don't know if this is just me. If you took out, if you made, it just had a weird feeling of that SDI game. Not only excitement, but just the idea of, Slow things coming on from the right, like missiles, and you had to sort of shoot things out of it. Yeah, yeah. Sort of had lent on that maybe a little. I guess it had a feel, and I'm being generous here, but a kind of feel of the arcade of which it was based. But none of the good feels because the arcade itself was pretty bland. Yeah. And I'm sorry, being on, I'm being a bit kind there. This lacks any kind of atmosphere of fun whatsoever. It's devoid of those things. That's a talent, I think, that is, to make a game that is actually devoid of the very thing you're aiming to set out to do. Mm-hmm. All those problems are actually kind of, I didn't play it, but I, I imagine they look like they've replicated themselves from the arcade, which also looks like it's a bit on the door side. It's an odd mix of kind of depth charge meets a kind of diving bell game. It really threw me when I turned into a diving bell, like a shooting diving bell. I'm like, who thought of this? I mean, in some in some instances, in some world, there's an exciting version of that. Not here, though. So it's not classic fun, is it? I mean, for a tenor, no. I mean, it's float, bomb, turn, drop things shoot get attacked by a jelly those all sound pretty exciting but not here no they're not what's it all for anyway what's the point anyway the real insult here is the price it's at uh 10 pounds 9.99 for this piece of rubbish get f-ed, us gold this is crap <laughs> sorry sorry i swore I'll, I'll bleep it out that's my feeling on it there you go oh good lord what a week what a week to be alive <laughs> What a, week. <laughs> what a time. Yeah, back to the deep with you. Indeed. We've got <laughs> one left. Let's see if this is any better. Graham, over to you to take us up, maybe, in the F-14 Tomcat. We must fly, fly high in the F-14 Tomcat. There's a lot of brouhaha about F-14 Tomcat since Top Gun came out at this point in time in the, yeah, in the world, isn't there? Yeah, there really Everyone's is. kind of gone mad about the F-14 Tomcat. It's the best, best plane ever. Wonderful plane. Super plane. Brilliant it is. Great. Uh, this is $14.99, though. That's quite quite high, isn't it? That's quite a charge. It got 67% in Zap. doesn't mean anything, actually. doesn't mean a thing. It's got 67%. You may as well say it got seven artichokes. It doesn't matter. It's two Who knows what they're scoring this space. Yeah, yeah. Published by Activision. Developer was Dynamics. The design is Kevin Ryan and Jeff Tunnel. The producer was Terry Ishida. Coding Kevin Ryan and Nick Strepetos. Strepetos. Um, sounds like a cool guy. Graphics Tom Colley and Darek Lazuzic or Lakuzic. Lakuzuk. 
sorry, I'm I'm trying to read it off a screen from a. I should get my glasses really. Uh, <laughs> and the musician is Bryce Morcello. So this is mm. a simulcade, arcade later simulation, simul arcade, <laughs> arcade like circulator. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Any, you, you pick any one of those. You pick those. You know, it's all about it's all about that stuff. Um, and the idea of the game, obviously, now this is one of those games that comes with a fairly heavyweight um, encyclopedia of gaming. It's a, it's a, with all these kind of simulations, you know, you're going to get a lot of stuff to go at. This isn't as extensive a uh, diatribe as some of the other big games that we play. So the big, and, and indeed, it's not really a vector sim in that way. So it isn't trying to tackle the Microprose crown. This is actually probably, if it's going to park its car in somebody's garage, it's likely to be kind of a, I guess it's like a uh, simulator meets Ace of Aces kind of vibe, but sort of in a Tomcat, I guess. Something like Ace. Yeah, it's it's in that realm, is it? So it's it's more it's they're going for that kind of arcade action type thing, hmm. um, and so the so the you know it's it's sort of designed that way. So you get a lot of interstitial graphics, and I'll come to what that sort of looks like. But you know, it's basically the, there's a pilot's briefing. I'll quickly whiz through that. You're flying a new U.S. Navy carrier-based jet fighter pilots are a rare breed. Apparently, this is almost straight out of the. Uh, Top Gun Handbook, actually, mm-hmm. which a lot of this film leans on, a lot of this game leans on. Only a select few qualify, and only the best of these excel at modern high-speed aerial combat. Sound familiar? An F-14 Tomcat pilot must be ready at any time to catapult from the deck of a pitching uh, carrier in choppy seas and fly straight into a no-holds-barred dogfight. Um, enlist in the best flight training in the world. Sound familiar yet? Learn and practice basic flight maneuvers and advanced combat maneuvers, then move on to advanced jet training and practice dogfights against the challenging instructor. Sound familiar? Um, He'll give you a nickname that will stick with you throughout your career, like Iceman or Maverick or Deadeye or Potato Bug. Never give anyone the nickname Potato Bug. (laughs) Okay, I don't want that nickname. Deadeye I could handle, although you might not want that. Um, what would your, just out of curiosity, what would your you know, preferred pilot's name? You don't have to answer right now. You can always think about that. I'll have a think. Be? I don't know. i think about that. See if we'll come back to that. Maybe revisit that at the end. Okay. Um, anyway, so uh, then, you re- then you're assigned to final training. The dogfights are that much close to the real thing. A radar head steps off and helps you take on the tough opponents. And it goes on and on. I'm not going to go through all of that. Um, you'll end up meeting Admiral Hawk, who's some kind of veteran. He'll give you your missions. And then it's into the sort of, into the game. Before you do that, you need to qualify via the top. If you're going to play the sort of career path, um, you're going to qualify via the Top Gun School. There it is. Um, and so this game is actually really kind of an arcade simulation of the gate of the film Top Gun, really leaning heavily in that without actually mentioning the world, the film <laughs> Top Gun, apart from that once or twice. I don't think they're meant to mention it, um, but they did. So they, but the map got away with it <laughs> anyway. So uh, there's a nice title screen, loading screen for this. Has a nice feel. F-14s flying over an aircraft carrier doing stunts and things, like what happens in the film Top Gun and that, um, <laughs> doing barrel rolls and such. Like what happens in the uh, in that film. <laughs> in that film, in that film, yeah, you know, Gun Top, uh, the Aldi version. Um, next, you're on the aircraft identification screen where you must correctly identify the name of an item on the aircraft from a list. Obviously, it's the anti-piracy security measure on there, and it worked pretty effectively because even on the crack version I had, when I put that in wrong by accident, it disabled the keyboard. That wasn't very nice. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, I had the manual, so um, I managed to do that. We'll put the manual in the show notes in case you want to have a go with this yourselves. Um, and if you get it wrong, like I say, you're in, it says in the instructions, actually, if you get that wrong, you are enlisted and then booted out of the academy and have to reload the game. So get it right. All right, chill out. Go on. Next screen, you have three options. Enlist, continue career, and fly mission. Fly mission is just to dive in, you know, straight into a combat mission and away you go. No, that's it. You're in the air, shoot and things and off you go. No enlisting required and no training. 
Um, and I actually initially, and this continue career obviously is to pick up because you can save the game so you can pick up where you left off. Mm-hmm. I enlisted and then I needed to sign my application. And actually the, the presentation around that was actually pretty cool. Mm. So you got like a flight trainer. Those bits in this game, they reminded me of the kind of where the Ace of Aces were. That's why I mentioned it because you get like these photo stills, yeah. you get thematic sounds. It just, it, it, it just sort of get you into the game, I have to say, into that bit. Those are nice. So the thematic stills, the music, the intro, nicely stylized. You know, it it was nice. And then there's some te- uh, and then there's some text that uh, gives you the lowdown of your new career. You start at the academy. This is what's in store for you. You're going to do up to training. You're going to do this. You need to follow the instructions. And then it's up training flight. I followed the instructions in the test plane. It's keyboard and it's uh, joystick controlled on the in the main. Mm-hmm. You don't actually do your training in a F14. Ironically, um, but uh, and the, and the, if you can imagine the the layout for all of the planes that you fly in this is aeroplane cockpit view from the top, and then cockpit controls and things and you know dials and switches at the bottom, a bit like we've seen in almost every other flight simulator of that that kind. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I followed the instructions in the test plane. It's a plus for thrust. It took me ages to figure out that I wasn't thrusting anywhere at a certain point because my keyboard had rejected me at a certain point, but um, <laughs> I got, eventually got through it. And then uh, joystick to control. And I have to say. Um, I was able to move, maneuver around. Um, I get you get instructions: fly to these coordinates, go to this height, you know, reduce to this height. Then it just said, uh, and then land. It said, now land. That's I had no I idea where the ground was <laughs> because there are no, there was no runway that I could see. It was just, there was just green and blue. Yeah. And when I, I when too. I went lower towards, I lowered my altitude, thinking, okay, well, maybe I'm just too high to see the, you know the giant landing strip that I took off from, clearly. Um, and there was something in the background, like a, like a square, like a vector square thing in the grass. I'm like, is that my landing strip? Am I meant to be that? But I could never get near it. No matter how fast I flew, it always remained the same distance. Away. So I thought, well, maybe that's not it. So I ended up just crashing into the ground. That's what exactly um, because, what I did. So I was like, okay, well, you know what? That isn't the greatest training mission. It wasn't <laughs> successful. In fact, I died because there was no, the next image was a coffin being carried by some soldiers and <laughs> exactly some sad what I music. Got. I was like, oh, it's a predator. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I had to press F to pay my respects. Yeah, same. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll just go straight into a mission. Uh, when you do that, you get the mission briefing. Um, again, very Top Gun inspired, of course. Um, so you get, you know, the captain kind of, and they are, they are animated, so their mouths move, and they're still, it's just, those parts got no complaints about it, or it all captures yeah. the feeling of that bit. When you get into the game, you know, the, the, the inspiring speech is full of the kind of language, you know, the jingoistic language you'd expect. There's bogeys on the loose, loads of bogeys in the in these <laughs> naval dramas, isn't there? They're full of bogeys. It's anyway, like they've been in Brown Sauce's bedroom. <laughs> it's just as dangerous as well let me tell you spike yourself on one of them you're gonna have rabies um anyway <laughs> sorry gary so uh yeah so there's lots of bogey stuff and you get all you know you're going into a deadly mission you know the enemy is you know firing on our whatever but the first mission i had was do not fire on the enemy unless they fire on you i was like all right okay yeah, I'm I not going to, I, I knew that wasn't well. going to happen. I knew it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So into the action then, you start in the air, or at least I started in the air on one of them. I actually started in, I restarted this a few times and each time I was in a kind of different mission. So there must be quite a few, that's that's cool. The top half of the screen was the cockpit view, like I said, with the HUD, de- detailing altitude, direction, and with the weapon reticule, like you've seen in a million simulators, but it is the F-14 kind of view. And if you've ever watched the film Top Gun, it's the exact view you see in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's an F-14. Lower half is the cockpit controls and systems, and the keyboard commands obviously control weapons, tactical views, um, space select targets and radars. They don't feel as intuitive key commands as we have seen in other games. And the reason for that, I think, is partly because I'm on a Mac, keep using a Mac keyboard, and so yeah. there's, there's not a native ease of use. I can't just press F1 or F3. I've got to press function key, and I've got to 
So some of that I get, you know, some of that I, I align to my inability to, you know, to operate keyboards. But, you know, I wasn't doing much of this for long, I'll tell you. I had loads of issues with the controls at this point. Again, the keyboard kept dropping out. Maybe it was that version, like I said. Maybe I'm just crap at this, but it kept doing things like that. Anyway, I, I did manage to sort of fly a mission. Um, so when I did fly the mission, I was flying about. Um, I could basically target things because you press the space bar to target something. I could change the weapons to out of the three different weapon types, which well, I won't list them now, but one of them was Exocet. There was one was Amram, I think, or something like that. You could choose machine guns. I chose the missile, pressed space bar, targeted it, and pressed fire, and it instantly told me off um, because I'd fired without permission. I thought, <laughs> well, that was that was destiny, that. And then uh, within six seconds, I was flying around two different shades of blue. Um, there was a darker shade and a lighter shade. I'm guessing the lighter shade was sky. The darker shade was ocean. There was nothing else on there apart from a splatty aeroplane sprite that keeps kind of loomed into view from 0.2 of a second and then disappeared. And then I felt like I was doing some kind of erratic dogfight moves for no, for no reason. I, I, I seem to be chasing nothing. There is a radar on the screen, but the radar colors are so difficult to see that it made the radar almost pointless. Mm-hmm. And it works in that kind of way that the elite radar works. So you get kind of a height and depth indication with a, like a line on the target. And obviously it's rotating around you in 360. So you, you get that kind of 3D cube kind of view. So you know if it's higher and lower than you. I could not get that airplane in front of me for any length of time. I just couldn't. And then I took three hits and I was, that was it. I was nosediving. So I, then I thought, oh, I better eject. Press the E. Keyboard had failed. So I just crashed into the <laughs> ground and died. I managed to eject that. at least. Yeah, so I never managed to escape. So, and that was my experience of the game. And I tried it a few different times, tried it. It's not a game I wanted to get into, but I wanted to give it a fair crack because I don't generally like any of these kind of flight games and anything else. But for me, this was another long line of, you know, nice thematic screens. There's nothing wrong with those. Nicely drawn, looking the part, but it's all a bit of salad dressing. If the game isn't any good, or at least if the game is kind of what, you know what it's. You know it's what it's going to be. If it's not vectors, then you know what it's going to be. Um, and that's a good in. So there's a good in in all of that stuff. Um, but when you get into the game, it's the usual horizon line of green and blue with an engine sound and periodic beeps and sprites scooting past. When I did target something, I was told not to fire, and then it fired at me, and then it shot me down on the second game. So I, I mean, I, I felt like I was disadvantaged. It's like, don't you dare fire at the airplane. It's sh- it just blowing me up. Thanks for that, Cap. <laughs> I mean, is that meant to be fun? Is that fun? I don't know. I, I get it. Top Gun meets Ace of Aces and all the trimmings, the thematic graphics, the language tone, and all that stuff makes for a, a great game. I don't, I, I don't doubt that if you're into this and you like Top Gun and you probably, you know, maybe you're going to accept the kind of absence of things that are in this game. There's not a lot in it. I think that was my, I was flying around for ages and just blue, green, or other shades of blue. I hate that about these flight games. You need to have things for me to keep me interested. I need, I need scenery or something. It can't just be big voids of color block. And yes, moving left and right and flying the plane, those were fast. So when I banked left or banked right in the airplane, the horizon line moving was fast. It was fast, but there wasn't anything else on the screen challenging it. <laughs> so if you know, it was a very elaborate way of you know rotating two giant blocks of color. Um, all that in-between graphics, all good. The game itself, very dreary. It's a bit sad that. And then, of course, you've got the loading as well. I didn't find the loading too obtuse, but um, I just found you know, it doesn't get... The, the game didn't get me into the space. But the thematics around it did, so I was, you know, I was happy. I was happy getting into the world of the game, and then the game happened. I think that's the tragedy, really. It felt fast. Maybe there's good action if you can get the idea of how these games work. Maybe I think maybe someone who's into it would probably dig it more than I did. I just couldn't shake the feeling that for a great proportion of this, I was listening to someone trying to hack up phlegm by flipping about two shades of blue or blue green. The radar showed me stuff. I shot down two bogies, I think. I at least launched some AMRAMs at something which I targeted, and then I got shot down and couldn't eject. Even the cockpit display having all the info. And those keyboard commands, it's just not for me, this. It wasn't for me. But maybe the nice stuff around the edges might bring you in. It's on four discs, though. 
It's a lot of discs. That's a lot of loading. That's a lot of stuff, a lot of content. Maybe there's way more content than I, I experienced. And I, I'm looking at the screens in the various different magazines and the different and review sites that I've seen. There's quite a lot more to it in terms of what you can do and the missions and everything else. I never got that far in, unfortunately, because I was kind of bored out of the sky. So no, not for me flying an F-14 Tomcat. Turns out I ain't no top gun, probably, you know, bottom gun. Um, what about you? <laughs> yeah, avalanche. That's what I'd be. Av- oh, you, you actually did think about it. I, I think did. you would. Avalanche. Yeah, okay. be avalanche. And I, I need to think of one now. I I'll think of one by the time you, you do. Um, uh, pretty much the same. I'm sure this is great if you love this kind of thing. And it is telling. I'm just sort of looking at the screenshots on Moby Games. That there's four, eight. There's like 15 screenshots. And I would say there's one, two, three. There's six of the game. Six of the gameplay. All the rest are all those interstitial screens, which are very nice. Mm. They reminded me very much of microprose type stuff as well. Yeah, you know the yeah, yeah, FPD, them, yeah. what was it, the Project Stealth Fighter, yeah, the, the gunship, all, yeah. all that. It's 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 one of them. Um, and so you you do all this and you go out to fly around. And I had exactly the same. I did the training mission. It went fly here, fly at this heading, fly at this. Now land. Where? <laughs> Where do I land? <laughs> How? <laughs> so I turned around. There were some shapes. I also didn't like it. Then I thought, well, I crashed. I went all right. I'll just do some missions. I didn't like the fact that the the hood. That I kind of got used to using in the training mission was completely different when I went out. Yeah, different aeroplane. Yeah. So I was like, "Well, this doesn't help." It's, yeah. Well, if it's different, why am I just not in an F fourteen Tomcat? It just what's well, the expensive. name of the game? <laughs> just <laughs> it's too expensive to render one. <laughs> They're so expensive. They even cost, even virtual ones are dead expensive. We they can't. Are, we can't, can't have you. We need to crash it. So uh, <laughs> God, yeah. So. I don't know. Um, it, it moves at a decent click, like you said. That blue and green, or green and blue, that certainly flips around fast. Yeah, it rotates around, all right. It really yeah. does, because there's nothing nothing else there. Endless blue and green, green and blue, whatever, blue and blue. Finally, I found, you're trying to find enemy shoot. I did exactly the same as you. I shot, but hey, Batman, stop it. They call me Batman. Um, Batman. Oh. That was my uh, call sign in the game. Batman. Oh, what was mine? I didn't, I didn't even know. I didn't notice that. I wonder if mine was Batman as well. Yeah, mine was Batman. I've seen someone else. Some uh, someone else has mentioned that as well. So he says, "Batman, stop that!" And I shot again. Yeah, and went, oh, he stop it! And then they shot me down. And then I ejected, and it was all for nothing. I think it's just been done. This kind of thing, you know, it's four discs of lots of very nice static screens and wobbly mouths. Mm. But the actual gameplay was done better in Ace. And I think yeah, that's yeah, yeah. you know no argument there. So I'd rather play Ace than this. It's an interesting take, as I said, but. It's neither it's neither as good as Ace in the flying sort of combat stakes, and I don't think it's as good as the Micro stuff in the presentation, setting it all up, Project Stealth Fighter type stakes in that in the beginning stuff. So it, it yeah. sits somewhere in the middle and is not as good as either of those two things. And I also want to know why are it all what where's where's everyone drinking this Top Gun sauce right now? Yeah, where's it come from? I don't know because we had Tomcat. Afterburners yeah. just appeared. There's just yeah. F14 madness at the moment. I mean, obviously, top. The, the but it's 1989. Top didn't top one come out in '84. Uh, and it's not wasn't as early as that. I don't think. But I think it was. I went because I was at school when I went to see it. So I think it was only 12. It, it might be. Or was I mean, it was it 86? Might be 86. Might be 86. I think. But yeah, Top Gun has got a long tail. Anyway. Yeah, 86. It's neither as as in depth. I don't think for people as like I said the micro stuff, and it's not as good as an arcade shooter. Uh, no. as ace so there you go no but by, by the way my um call sign i'm i can't decide between um i'm torn between sausage and pasty but that sounds painful so um thinking about it you know, no one no one wants to be torn between their sausage and their pasty let me tell you um, so, ouch i think i'll go for sausage that sounds good to me 
You all right, sausage? I'm doing all right, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Stop shooting, sausage. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have permission to fire, sausage. <laughs> He's going to do a sausage flyby. I could, I could live with those. Uh, I could live with that call sign. <laughs> Damn you, sausage. <laughs> there you go. Sausage. Sausage and avalanche. What a pair. <laughs> you could be my sausage man anyway. <laughs> Surely, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd have to be pasty, would I? Sausage and pasty. No wonder we didn't do very well in training. <laughs> Batman and Raptor Man and all the fancy names that come out with the film. And then can you imagine our version with bloody sausage and pasty? And Avalanche is good, though. Avalanche is Yorkshire all right. pudding and scotch egg. Oh, can you imagine scotch egg? <laughs> scotch egg, you a cliff takeoff. Hi, <laughs> I am. <laughs> Yorkshire pudding, go out behind him. <laughs> Gravy, that'd be another good one. Gravy. Yeah, you'd want, you'd want to be, you'd, match, you'd have to match them together then. Sausage would have to be with pasty. Gravy would have to be with Yorkshire pudding. Scotch egg, who's Scotch egg going to fly with? He's got no wingman. Scotch egg and pork pie. <laughs> yes, this is sounding very much like a more colloquial version of Top Gun, one might say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. This is why the British don't give themselves code names. Exactly, you know we don't. We don't. You know it's just we just. Oh, we're all called Roger, aren't we? So it's yeah, nice and easy. that's why we just double O something or other. Anyway, the thing is though to say is that F fourteen Tomcat was certainly the best game we played that that half. Shocking, isn't it? That it is, <laughs> but it's not great. But it's at least it's an accomplished, finished thing with lots of trimmings. Yeah, unlike yeah. all the other three, which are not <laughs> accomplished, and they certainly don't have any trimmings. No, F fourteen Tomcat was a proper Sunday lunch at least. Had all the trimmings, yeah, it was, yeah. but the others were just a uh, you know a, a splat on the pavement outside. Yeah, yes, they were cold cavalry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what's that? Right, that's it. That's this half done. We're going to go take a quick break. We will be back. We've got TV uh, and films from the UK in 19- May nineteen eighty nine to look at. So please do, please do stick around. And we're back. Let's do some film and TV in May 1989. First of May, Graham, was the network television premiere of the 1984 science fiction sequel, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock on BBC One. Starring, of course, The Shat, Nimoy and Kelly. (laughs) The Shat. (laughs) That's what he's known as, isn't he? The Shat. The Shat, yeah. The Shat. Um, Yes, I think this this might be where I saw Star Trek III, actually, because I never went to the cinema to see any of the Star Trek movies until I think um, maybe six actually, because I saw wow. the rest of them on video or anything else. I never saw the um, the second Star Trek movie in the cinema until much later. So at the time, later on, I've seen them all since in sort of, you know, when they do the retro reruns and all that. But so this might be where I first saw it. Um, the film itself was directed by Leonard Nimoy, of course. So Spock directed this one, a logical choice. Absolutely. He's got to find okay. himself. So going for that. Uh, Go for the big. Uh, go, go, go for the big guns. I better pull out the big guns. They're not. They're not oh, buying logical. it. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. It's been logical a busy choice. Day. It's been a busy day. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, it, um, this was the direct sequel to um, the Wrath of Khan. It actually carried on, and I'm not sure how the filming of the filming of this was done. I'm not sure if some of it was filmed directly afterwards. I don't know the lineage of that. It doesn't really matter. Um, in the in the uh, Wrath of Khan, the character of uh, Savick, Lieutenant Savick, was played by Kirsty Alley. She was replaced in this one by Robin Curtis um, because apparently she demanded too much money. Oh, apparently, wow. um, Leonard Nimoy's first choice to play the character of Krug, who is the evil Klingon in this, who actually kills. Well, he doesn't kill Kirk's son, but he is, you know his team of Klingons are responsible for the death of Kirk's son, David. 
that was originally he wanted Edward James Olmos to play it, which would have been very interesting, wouldn't it? Because it's actually played by um, Christopher Christopher Lloyd, isn't it? Christopher Lloyd. Edward James Olmos would would have been uh, that's uh, Battlestar Galactica. That's uh... exactly yeah, that's Blade Runner. That's the guy at Blade Runner. Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. And he might have been the, quite good in that, I think. Yeah, it'd have been a good Klingon, I think. Um, and so, but of course, Christopher Lloyd at this point was also, he was actually on TV in the in the comedy series Taxi, playing quite a quirky character in that. So for him to do this kind of evil villain type character on the back of all the other sort of work he was doing at the time, mm. it was kind of, it was an unusual choice, but I think it's, it's one of the better Klingons. You've got some really good actors in this particular Star Trek. It's not the greatest Star Trek movie, but it's got some really good moments in it. The key one, of course, is the scene where Kirk's son David is actually killed by one of the Klingons on the planet's surface. Um, and there's just a very quick run of the story. They go looking for Spock. There you go. Kind of says it on the title, really. <laughs> um, and they find him on a planet. They're kind of on the Genesis planet, don't they? Yeah, which was created at the end of the previous movie by exploding the Genesis device in space. That created a, a planet because obviously it was designed to create nothing from something and something from nothing or whatever. <laughs> it's like Tron. <laughs> exactly. When they go to the planet, giant orange. And when they go to the planet's surface, they find Spock. He's kind of going through all sorts of weird transformations in all sorts of bubbly skin moments, which are awkward. Um, and then runs around screaming a lot and throwing people around. Eventually becomes Spock, but he has no memory. Why am I even going for that? It doesn't really matter. The pivotal moment is where David gets killed by one of the Klingons, and that's Kirk's son. It's actually one of the pivotal moments of Star Trek. Um, it's a really brutal murder, actually, in, the, in all of the Star Trek films. It's the one that kind of people remember because it has such a nasty sort of sound when he gets stabbed by this Klingon. Quite brutal. And then this is the cold um, Lieutenant Savick, who's a Vulcan, with no emotion, just says, um, you know, uh, I think she just says, Admiral, your son is dead, or something like that. Something very cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sticks out a lot of Trek, you know, Trek fans' minds out of that. And, of course, it's a pivotal plot point for the entire Star Trek VI film, because Kirk's distrust of the Klingons is what gets him into all the bother. It does. Anyway, it is a good film. It's better than you think it's going to be. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I was the death I always remember from the Star Trek films is the uh, the bug in the ear in two. Oh yeah, where the guy shoots himself. Ah! Yeah, that's yeah. another good one. Another one so, people remember actually. Yeah, that, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do remember totally. that. It's horrible. It's horrible. Horrible. You don't remember it for uh, Shaky Kirk going. Well, I remember all those bits as well, but for deaths. I mean, for yeah, deaths. yeah, for deaths. That is a brutal one. That with the bug in the ear. Yeah, and he shoots himself. Yeah. Ugh. Don't yeah. like that. Don't like bugs. I don't like the idea of bugs in your ear. It's horrible. Sixth of May, Yugoslavia's Riva win the 1989 Eurovision Song Contest with Rock Me. Mm, yeah, I, I vaguely remember it. And I, well, I had a look on YouTube and I look and things have moved on. Should we just leave it at that? Yeah, let's leave it there. 26th of May, ITV is uh, live. The last game of the Premier League. Oh, no, it was the football. It was football league season, I think, in 1989. It might have been the Premier I can't remember. Between Liverpool and Arsenal at Anfield. Arsenal win the league title with the last kick of the season. Ouch. Thanks to a late goal from Michael Thomas, more than 8 million people are said to have tuned in. It is a, wow. it's one of those moments in football, you know, British football history, something that still, that still will always be talked about. Liverpool wow. just needed to draw. It, it was one all. They were in the 92nd minute. Arsenal went running up the other end and Michael Thomas just started the ball home and it was literally just as the ref was about to blow the whistle. Oh my and, Lord. And won. Wow. It, yeah. For Liverpool fans, and I know obviously uh, Gary's a massive Liverpool fan, it was just, Nightmare, just nightmarish. <laughs> but, um, I can imagine. But, yeah, but for Arsenal fans, obviously, yeah, heaven. It was uh, 8 million people wow. watched it as well. That is an incredible number, actually, back then. It doesn't sound like it now. I mean, you know, some YouTubers probably get more than that for, you know, throwing an egg. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Give me 8, an million egg. Now, 8 million back then. Considering, you know, how many seats are there in a, the stadium that that would have been in? Uh, what, back then? About 60,000? 50, 50, 40, 50, 60,000, something so like that. So 8, 
so all the you know all so there's another you know seven point whatever million people yeah, watching yeah. that. It's an incredible number for a football game, and imagine imagine how dramatic that is as well. Well, I mean, so, you yeah, get wow. you get those numbers because it was on ITV, not phoned off on I mean. satellite. This is uh, when TV, this is when we had football on just the national channels rather than having to pay through the nose for it every week. Do you think Gary um, he cried brown sauce? Because that'd be oh, he just admitted it from every orifice. <laughs> he did that whether they won or lost. To be fair, <laughs> it's his nightly ritual. It was more pumpy when he when they won. <laughs> it's not. It's his nightly cleansing. Yeah, it came out like a like a two month old toothpaste. <laughs> With the cap left off. Yeah, so the crusty tip, and then the rest of it was smooth and greasy. <laughs> and I'm talking about, you know, brown that's, sauce there, thank you. That sounds like a real, um, really terrible 80s double comedian double act. Smooth and greasy. Smooth and greasy. <laughs> it's like oh, the, smooth. It's like the terrible version of Saint and Greavesy. <laughs> smooth and greasy. It's the Aldi version. It's the Aldi brand version. He's very smooth. I'm quite greasy, which ironically is the same thing. <laughs> is it though? Is it? <laughs> Don't know. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Arsenal won the league. Well done, Arsenal. New shows for the month. 2nd of May was Take Me Home. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Uh, had Keith Barron in it. For those who don't know, you Definitely don't want to know. Definitely never heard of it. Uh, 2nd of May was also the Bubblegum Brigade. No idea. Sounds ass. 12th of May, Jump in the Queue. What is this? No. No. Uh, more interestingly, maybe on the 12th of May we had KYTV. No, unfortunately, it wasn't very funny. <laughs> it's not. It's supposed to be a, co- it's supposed to be a comedy, yeah, um, it is. But, but it's not. So this was a, a British television comedy series about a fictional television station uh, ran for a few years. So essentially what they did is they kind of switched over to KYTV. This was written by Angus Deaton. Uh, it was. Jeffrey Perkins. Yeah, so it was a fictional low-budget satellite television station named after its owner, Sir Kenneth Yellowhammer, and bore a suspicious yeah. similarity to Sky Television. We'll link to the first episode. Don't. You can watch if you want. You'll get about three minutes in. <laughs> you will, yeah. you realise how unfunny it actually is. Very, very much so. Yeah. Uh, 19th of May was Tygo Road. Never heard of it. No. 20th of May. This was weird. This is that show business. It's ran for seven years. The game show that heard <laughs> for seven years, hosted by Mike Smith. Okay. And it was in the first three series, played with two teams, three team captains. It's a, you know, three three members sit across from each other and answer questions. But the yeah. captains were Kenny Everett and Gloria Hunniford. God, they were dragging the barrel of <laughs> B-listers there, weren't they? Goodness what? Me, Why would you put time. Kenny Everett against Glory Honeybud? Well, exactly. Uh, but, but after team after series uh, four, there were no team captains. It was just two oh, teams. Okay. Uh, typical, typical for the weird thing is if you watch it, we'll link to an episode of this. They're all on one big table. They are. Yeah, it is a bit odd. It's dead weird. They're all dead close to each other and like packed in. It's like we haven't got yeah. much. We just got this. Someone just dragged this table out from the back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the word you're looking for it. is cheap. <laughs> it's just BBC. A table. It's cheap. Do you remember the prizes they gave away on Blankety Blank? I do remember those, but I thought exactly. they could have put at least two tables. A set of towels three. was a prize on that show. A set of towels. True. That's not a good <laughs> prize to win, is the master prize or whatever? No. Set of towels. Yeah. Teas made. Yeah. It's very odd. Very odd program. 20th of May is Brian Conley, This Way Up. Ooh. I hated Brian yeah. Conley. He was a yeah. He was a mum's favourite. He was a mum's comedian. Yeah, this particular show was the precursor to the show that made him more famous, but it wasn't very good or very funny. I never dug Brian Connolly at all, but some people did. Mums. My yeah. mum seems to quite like him a bit. It's yeah, a puppet he became famous for, didn't he? Yeah. That? This, uh, what was it? Uh, this Way Up gave gave some of his most popular characters of Nick Frisbee and Larry the Loafer. You remember them? Yeah. No. No. You remember them? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Frisbee, Loafer, Connolly. Yeah. <laughs> 
I never watched it. I never really watched this kind of thing. I, I totally tuned out of a lot of this mainstream sort of, you know, TV at this point. If it wasn't on beyond 10.30 at night, I probably wasn't watching it, I have to say. Nah. Light entertainment stuff, no. Nah. I wasn't in or watching it or not into it. And a certain, at this point as well, sort of thing, I certainly wasn't like in the living room. No with, chance, with my, no. With my mum, no. my brother, sort of thing, watching telly, no. apart, from, apart from on, you know, Christmas and stuff like that. Yeah, no. yeah. 21st of May is The Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. Tale of no. Two Cities. Adaptation yeah. of that. Adaptation, yeah, of Charles Dickens's Tale of Two Cities, which is really boring, by the way, sorry to say. It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, monkeys. 23rd of May was absolutely uh, debuted. Um, yeah. And as I said, you must have heard of this because you Stony Bridge. Yeah, as soon as you spot that, I was like, oh, it's that one. Yeah, Stony, Stony, at Stony Bridge, we've got a Stony Bridge. That one. That's the one. Yeah, that's the, and is- I didn't have Rapsy Nesby on it as well. I thought it hadn't Rapsy Nesby on it. I don't know, but he came from Naked Video. All oh, right, so maybe it didn't. Then. It was another similar think, kind of vibe, maybe. Yeah, it was another Scottish sort of uh, skit. Come to Stony sketch Bridge. Show. I remember that. Yeah. I remember rightly. Uh, but yeah, I, that's what I, I only remember that. I had a look and I was like, oh, yeah, it's Stony Bridge. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Where they, they tried to, I remember at one point, they tried, it's a small village out there. They tried to bid yeah. for the Olympics at one point. That's right. Yeah. 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 Stupid stuff like that. 26th of May, Sob Sisters. It doesn't sound like anything I would have ever watched. No. <laughs> well, hang on a minute. Let's see if I can tempt you with this hilarious setup. Uh, it's a British television sitcom. Following the death of a husband, two sisters move in together despite their strongly contrasting personalities. Sound side splitting. <laughs> Sounds yeah. hilarious. What are you on about? Any, any, anything, any comedy that starts with following the death of, probably yeah. not going to have your side splitting with laughter for at least the first couple of episodes, is it? Goodness. No, it's probably not. Um, and finally, 30th of May, Prisoners of Childhood. No. TV, it's May. You know, schools, yeah. nearly people, weather's turning nice, people are out. Yeah. Um, Film-wise, on the 5th of May, could have gone to see The January Man. Never, never saw it. Yeah, I was aware um, of it. I'm aware of it. It's Kevin Klein. Um, yeah, this is when his star was in the ascendancy with um, things like Fish Called Wonder and stuff like that. He did around this yeah. period, didn't he? I think he uh, yeah. just, well, I can't remember. Was that Dave he did? Dave, the, yeah, the uh, impersonator American yeah. president one, didn't he, as well? Yeah, that's it. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is he's some kind of cop in this, chasing down some serial killer. Yeah, it sounds very odd, good. I imagine, but he sounds like an odd choice for the for the role. Yeah, I don't know. You know, many more than I might. I might check it out actually, find it and see what it's like. You never know. It'd be a very eighties film, I don't doubt. But it'll be very eighties. It'll be it'll yeah. be a bit wayward and a bit. You know, he won't he won't play by the rules. No, I guarantee you that. No. If you didn't fancy that, if you didn't fancy a bit of Kevin Klein, you could have gone a bit more heavier and gone to see Mississippi Burning. You could and should actually. Yeah, you should. It's a great film. Um, yeah, two FBI agents investigate the murder of civil rights workers during the 60s, uh, seek to breach the conspiracy of silence in a small southern town. Uh, segregation divides black and white. This was Willem Dafoe and Gene Hackman, isn't it? Yes. If I remember rightly. Um, it's been a while since I've watched this, but it is a very, very good film. It's, you know, just one of those films about a really... Very challenging of, topic, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it is good. But like I said, it's been a while since I watched it because it's one of those films you kind of really have to be in the mood for. Yeah, it's not a, you know, it is it is an exceptionally good film and harrowing, um, but you need to be in the mood for a harrowing film because it's going to live with you a little bit, some of the horrors that are in that. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, if you didn't fancy that and you wanted something, well, something else, you could have gone seen The Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream could've. Master. You could have, yeah. Yeah, you could have yeah, seen that. by Rennie Howland. Did you know that? 
some you've written here and as soon as you said it i went yeah i did know that um i i think i actually went to see this at the cinema um, yeah I think I did because um, it's like I, I, I was old enough now to sneak in. Well, not sneak in, but get into 18s. Yeah, which is probably was. this might have even been a 15 at the time though, because they were really sort Could of been. toning down the the horror at this point. Maybe it might have been a 15. I can't remember, but I got in to see it anyway. Interesting for the um, I found the the sort of classic trailer for it. It's that it's actually the proper classic old school horror trailer with the deep voice guy in it, which you don't get nowadays. You don't ever get those anymore. No. Um, but I kind of, it was quite nice to see that. Uh, but it did, as I watched it through all the way through, it reminded me of those fake trailers that Tarantino and co made for um, when they released that movie. What was it called? Um, they had um, Don't in there. It was one of the fake movie oh, trailers, yeah. wasn't it? And, and, those, and some <laughs> of those others. It reminded me of that. It reminded me of the one for, um, I think it was um, oh, Thanksgiving the, uh, or something like that. Or... Dark meat. Wait, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. All will be carved. Yeah, it reminded me of that kind of vibe. Um, there's a very so interesting so. though. A little talking point I've got here is around the. I found a website that's a list of all the deaths in all of the Nightmare on mm. Elm Street films. So every death is in there. Now, what surprised me about that is that there's not as many as I thought there is would be, and in the films where I didn't expect it, there's loads. Um, so in the um, Nightmare on Elm Street for there's six confirmed gruesome deaths listed on this website there might be more i'm not i haven't watched it in years so don't quote me on it but i'm just going via this website we'll put the link in there in the show notes the interesting one in there there's someone's thrown into a lit furnace Um, it says one a woman in there a character by the name of sheila kopecky is kissed by freddie and sucked dry of all her body's internal organs which is a bit weird and grim wasn't it um so what struck me was that out of all so i thought well out of all the films that are around there's quite a lot of you know, Nightmare on Elm Street films. Um, which was the you know which one had the most deaths in it? Well, it turns out that the Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two has eleven notable deaths in it. Um, part Four has only a, only a mere six. But Jason versus Freddy has twenty deaths in it, um, including <laughs> someone being someone being folded in half in a bed. Twenty deaths. How long is it? But it's only about ninety minutes. That's, <laughs> exactly. like, that's like one every four minutes or something. One every oh, four yeah. and a half minutes. It's crazy, and they're all listed. Most of them end with the word machete. You'll notice. <laughs> well, that's Jason, isn't it? Yeah, stomach Remember. slice with machete, chest slash with machete, slice with machete, set on fire, face slashed with bladed glove, <laughs> then hit with machete. <laughs> yeah, crushed by heavy door. Post security guard gets crushed by a heavy door. Yeah, um, I don't know. Someone gets electrocuted and thrown into a console. Yeah, exactly. So no. Just, you know, if you want a fun read and you're wondering how many deaths are in those Nightmare on Elm Street films, which is what I wondered, because, you know, they, the thing is, I thought they were famous for it. In fact, I thought there was a much more of a catalogue of them in it. And in my mind, I'm, I'm, when I'm thinking about the Nightmare on Elm Street films, with the exception of the first one, which is obviously, you know, the one I sort of have more time for, yeah, as it yeah, were, yeah. I always think, oh, it just became these big slasher movies with loads of violent deaths in it. Actually, not that many comparatively. If you look at the new Halloween movies, for God's sake, there's one every 30 seconds. So I don't know, it just surprised me a little bit. But uh, go and check that out if you're feeling kind of fruity. The film itself. I'm looking at it now. There's only three in Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Yeah, weird. Do you think there's more? One of them is turned into paper, colour dropped, ripped, slashed into several pieces with (laughs) bladed glove. (laughs) Oh, dear me. Yeah, it's surprising, isn't it? You'd think there'd be a lot more than there would be. Yeah. There's only four in the original. It's never, it was never a high body count film, apart no. from 11 in the second one, like you said. And yet, in my mind, it really was. How weird is that? Although he does actually go on a... If you look at number two, what deaths three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine are all party guests. It's when he jumps out of him at the big party and kills oh, those, of course and kills those yeah, teams. So. Yeah, I suppose they're so, still notable deaths. Notable they deaths are still notable deaths. Yeah, yeah, they are still notable deaths. I haven't done the same thing for any of the, you know, Jason movies. 
in the Friday the 13th movies. I suspect there's probably a lot more in those. <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. Oh, there we go. Lots of deaths. You could have gone seen just six deaths yeah. in the Nightmare on Elm Street 4. I did. There you go. You did. Uh, 12th of May, uh, you could have gone to see, if you'd have really wanted to. I wouldn't have recommended it, though. Her Alibi. Uh, I always remember the video box for it. So always put yes, so this is Tom Selleck and uh, what was her name? Polina Porosdova or something? Perilously Thin, I think her name was. <laughs> Let me have a look. <laughs> it could be, yeah. It's, uh, what's her name? Uh, yeah, Polina Poroskova. I got it right. Yeah. Yeah, so essentially she has been accused or something of killing someone and he gives her an alibi, but then did she do it, didn't she? And it's a bit of a rom-com with, mm. with an edge. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember it being yeah. very good. And she was very thin. She's perilously thin, yeah. She's, um, some scenes in the trailer, which you can look at on the Internet Movie Database, um, she's as thin as the towel she's wearing to cover herself up when she gets out of the shower. Um, yeah. So it's like yeah. a sort of a towel sandwich with a thin layer of meat in between. Yeah. If you didn't fancy your hair alibi, you could have gone see A Time of Destiny. Yeah, it sounds like a good title, but no, I've never heard of it. Is it it's William Hurt and Timothy Hutton? That put me off. <laughs> it's, it's a Second World War something or other. A modernised mm. version of the story which inspired Verdi's opera La Forza del Destino. Right, okay. There we go. Um, <laughs> 19th of May, uh, there was the Torch Song trilogy. Yeah, it was never going to be my thing, that one. No, it's, I mean, this is it's not actually a bad film. Um, I mean, it's quite an important film for the time. This is based on the Broadway play written by and starring Harvey Firestein. It's one of those rare moments in the 80s where Hollywood actually had a non- stereotypical depiction of a gay man it's about his relationship sort of pre uh set pre sort of aids um i think mm-hmm. he's a drag queen in it um and michael no uh, what's his face matthew broderick's in it um mm-hmm. and so he deals with sort of relationships and you know, bi characters and, and they're un- they're not you know i know he's a drag queen but it's not about that it's about just people being people they happen to be gay they happen to be bi and it's yeah. that so it's one of those films that I think it was a new line film. So it, it was quite important at the time. And I remember it, I don't think it made much of a dent, but I think critically it was well received and it was massive on mm. um, Broadway. So as far as I can remember, yeah, uh, obviously I never it saw it on Broadway. I've never been to New no. York. So, but it uh, was a quite important film at the time. I think a week later, 26th of May, you could have gone seen beaches. Never going to be my thing. This uh, I'll get you Midler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Midler's in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. It's a, no, it's never going to be mine. It's a classic tearjerker, I think, isn't it? I imagine it is. It's, I think it is. But then I seem to remember it being one of the big teary-eyed ones, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Barbara Hershey, Midler. So. They're sort of friends, friendship over years, and I think one of them's dying towards the end. Yeah, that'll be uh, no spoilers, but yeah. I think that's what it is. I can't remember, but I mean, it's, yeah. it was never going to be a film for me. No, you know, no me. No. I'd, I'd, I'd gone to see Nightmare on Elm Street 4. That's where my... Uh, <laughs> My taste, like same day, you could have gone seen a cry in the dark. That's actually quite a, an interesting and good film. That yes, yeah, very obvious date though. Yeah, so this is the story of uh, what well, I can't remember the names. That's Lin- Lindy Chamberlain. Lindy Chamberlain, and they were they're on a camping trip. So in Ayers Rock, in Outback Australia, and she claimed that she witnessed a dingo stealing her baby daughter from the family tent. The body was mm-hmm. never found of the daughter. Police noted some apparent inconsistencies in the story. She was charged with murder, um, and it became a huge media circus. Uh, and obviously, it was one of those first sort of trial by media's almost sort of thing. So yeah, this was in uh, I don't know what year it was, but in new evidence emerged in 1986 when they found the the, the child's jacket, uh, which the police maintained didn't exist, was found partially buried adjacent to a dingo lair. So, That's right. So it seems that the story was actually true, um, and she was released. I think she had been imprisoned. I don't know the full she story. Was, of yeah. This. 
The only thing, yeah. it, this is one of them things that kind of became a bit sort of folklorish. I mean, it even made a joke in The Simpsons, didn't it? It did. I mean, they they it, famously because it captured it captured the nation in Australia at the time, and I'm sure some of our you know listeners, if they were of the right age, would probably remember that. Oh, I'm sure they do. But yes, it, you know, the important part is that she was actually um, that when they found the evidence because there was a lot of confusion about her, like her story didn't add up. Um, but she was absolutely insistent that that's what happened. That a dingo came and stole the baby away, and that, uh, for a long time they said dingoes don't just don't do that. Anyway, obviously they attend, and they couldn't find any of the key evidence, which was the jacket. Obviously, when they found that and they discovered, you know, what they needed to discover with that, um, she was released. I think I think she was in prison, um, and her life sentence for the murder was remitted. Mm. And then in Importantly, later in 2012, as recent as 2012, an Australian coroner made a final ruling that a dingo did indeed take her baby from the campsite. In 1980, it was, and caused the baby's death. Um, Morris apologised to Chamberlain fam, so the whole Chamberlain family, and the death certificate for um, little baby Azaria was amended accordingly. Um, so it's a long time to be going through all of that pain about all of that thing and grieving. Yeah, because it's it's an absolutely horrible thing. Yes, truly, truly, truly your, horrific. You know, your, your baby's just been taken by a, a, a wild animal and eaten. Wild dog, yeah, essentially, yeah. And just yeah. eaten by a pack. And yeah, then to abs- be accused of murder. It's, it's, it's just horrendous. I mean, yeah. I it doesn't even bear thinking about. It doesn't, but you know, <sighs> it's, it's the tragedy in all sorts of different ways. No one comes out of these things very, you know, shining with a shining light. It's tragedy for poor the poor Chamberlains, of course. Um, because they've gone through all of that angst from 1980 onwards to 2012, um, only then really being able to get some kind of closure on it. That's a long time to have all of that haunting you, and it's terrible. Yeah. You sort of look at these sort of stories, and sort of all the famous sort of stories of missing children and things like that, like the McCann stuff and things like that. And you're yeah. like, in amongst all this is a missing child, and that's yep, it's the it's horror, it's the real horror of it all, really. Mm. But the film is is very good, I have to say, uh, yeah, because it's 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 done like a. It's a dramatisation, and, and Meryl Streep's very good in it, so worth going to see. Finally, same day, you could have gone seeing 1969. I'd never heard of 1969 either. I'd never heard of this, but it's Keith Sutherland and Robert Downey Jr. doing some kind of counterculture yeah. type thing in order to join the army or something. Mm. I have no idea. I watched the trade. I was like, I'm none the wiser. Never heard of it. Um, I think guess they were at this point trying to sort of branch away from the Brat Pack type of thing. Yeah, a little um, bit. Probably, but um, no, nothing, it didn't. Didn't float across my transom, I have to say. No, mine neither. No, and that's it. Not a well, some interesting stuff there. Some interesting stuff, but nothing that really sort of stood out massively. Uh, that's it. TV was rubbish. Films were alright. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We've still got loads to do. Four more games. Crap verts. All kinds of stuff. Please stick around. We'll be back in a moment. And here we are, back again. With the last set of games from May 1989. We have four more, like I said. So, uh, Graham, over to you for the last duel. Ah, the last duel. (laughs) (laughs) Don't Um, say it like that. It doesn't deserve that that, that tone. (laughs) This was from uh, US Gold. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It's copyright Capcom. You know what that means, don't you? No, tell me. They've taken a trip down the old arcade obscura again yeah, to dig are. out another really obscure arcade game, um, this time in the shape of Capcom's Last Duel. And the musician here is Mark Tate. The developers here are Teartex, um, even though it's, they couldn't, they're not they're hiding, but it's Teartex who made this. Oh, dear. And this was also known, by the way, as Last Duel Interplanet War 2012. I don't know when it was known by that or by whom, but anyway. <laughs> um, so there is a story to this, and you actually get it when you start the game, which is nice. 
You do. Um, so you get this kind of, uh, I guess you call it a star effect, kind of a, you get a star version. Yeah, it's just a, a star effect. And then the writing appears on it. And it says, this is a story about twin planets Moo and Bakula, <laughs> or Bakula. Um, Scott? Far, Scott? Scott Bakula, it could be. Far from our constellation. Right. And in Bakula, a tribe called Galden uprose and took over control of the planet. The Golden tribe's urge for more power was aimed at sister planet Moo also. <laughs> Full stop. Yeah, it's not written by the greatest writer, this. I think this is one of those lost in translation things, isn't it? Well, it's the same translation from the arcade. The arcade's but, very similar. Yeah. The Golden organised a huge armada and attacked Moo without warning. They have captured and abducted Moo's queen, Sheeta. <laughs> See, it is a right Sheeta, let me tell you. No doubt about that. Um <laughs> You know, this is so far from the Capcom arcade, it's actually quite remarkable. And it's, like I said, another arcade conversion. Nobody wanted, nobody heard of this, and nobody gave a shit about it anyway. <laughs> if this has a close relation of any kind, it's Lead Storm or Mad Gear, which was another Capcom game, which is also a dual vehicle top-down scrolling shoot 'em up or a jump and avoid, which is exactly what this game is. How odd. Yeah. Aside from the silly story that you've just had, the game is set in a series of, I think, five levels, with you taking control of either a dragster-looking car or some kind of fighting aircraft. After the colourful and simple welcome screen, you can choose one or two player or co-op. Then begins your jerky adventure. The main window is the jerky scrolling background. Colourful, I guess, but jerky nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Your vehicle, uh, You control your vehicle sprite, and on level one, it's the car. You will travel along a scrolling road that jerks down as you fidget up, avoiding waves of enemies. You can jump, and when you do, you will suddenly embiggen into a massive block, double size, <laughs> massive blocky double size sprite, uh, which both looks crap and doesn't help you with anything anyway. The main proportion of the windows is the uh, sort of game scrolling backgrounds and path and roads, with a small portion at the bottom for a rudimentary UI with scores and lives, that kind of usual thing at the bottom. As you play uh-huh. the game, you will jerkily meander upwards, periodically succumbing to death and occasionally getting a rare power up. You can shoot with a fire button and move around with a joystick and firing up jumps. And you'll need to do this to avoid some of the pitfalls and holes in the road or stupid holes in the roadway. <laughs> Very stupid. Drop into these and it's instant death. You will also be under relatively constant attack from colourful but chunky enemy sprites. Some of the background details, roadside details, I guess you can't say they're terrible, terrible. There's a lot of weird, janky colours thrown in there, but it's not all smooth scrolling, is it? And that kind of undoes the quality of everything in this game because you cannot get past that jerky, jerky scrolling, at least not if you're me. If you get to the end, you will have to shoot the snake in a kind of a weird snake robot whack-a-mole um, where it pops its head from behind this kind of door thing and you have to keep shooting it in, as it pops its head out of different doors. Do that and you're on to the next level. Level two is more of a scrolling shooter with a spaceship. At least you're using a spaceship this time. Mm. The gameplay is essentially the same though as the jerky scrolling and naff gameplay is kind of played out in a just slightly different way. You just don't have the road and you're not in a car. But everything else, waves of dullness. There's more waves and more general tones of shunk to this section, but it feels shambolic and badly put together and somewhat dysfunctional as a game. And then the two parts, even though in the arcade they kind of interrelate here, they really don't. They don't at all. What can I say? If you're a diehard fan of this kind of thing and your brain is accepting of jerky scrolling, then maybe you'll like this. But I, I see no longevity in it. The sounds were okay at best. The music isn't bad, not terrible. Maybe some of the backgrounds aren't what you'd call tragic, but this feels just like all the other tier text conversions, utterly thoughtless and without care. This will have been converted from a Spectrum or Amstrad, and so the legacy, the legacy Z80 scrolling of memory replaces the C64's D011 hardware registers ability to fully scroll the screen up and down. That's plain lazy in my book. Um, this is Don't Give a Toss development. I suspect to condition an outcome from US Gold's endless quest 
to create the most obscure, converted, banal, and yet somehow bankable pieces of crap software humanly possible. This is also 10 quid, just like the uber crap human killing machine in the last episode, or Tiger Road, or 1943, or Street Fighter and beyond. A gigantic horse apple on the C64 gaming history. Indeed, we could take a moment to admire the US gold litany of success with arcade conversions, things like Gunsmoke and Sidearms. Magic, aren't they, those? <laughs> in their rush to get games out with their very short <laughs> deadlines, this becomes a quest for cash. And as the Joker rightly says, you get what you f***ing deserve. <laughs> so this is a, astonishingly, this is a multi-load, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of remarkable. Crap coding, yeah. that is. And on top of that, and outside of the music, another blazing ripoff. Even though all the Zap reviewers berated this with a passing nod to, if you like jerky scrolling and repeated gameplay, then this is view. It scored 72%. This is a joke. An absolute joke. And once again, and I have to say it, has more than a whiff of US gold running PR shotguns of some or some kind of sensory blockade. Or maybe they've got some kind of mind-controlling empath on their team or something. I don't know. This is a jerky and pleasant effort and deserves more of a score around the 20s, if that, as opposed to this 70% plus nonsense in my book. This is utter guff of the highest order, a con- an arcade conversion nobody even really cared or even heard of. You might get away with that. But this one looks too much like Lead Storm. And Lead Storm is way better than this in every department. This is utterly rubbish. What a waste of time and energy. Why would you even do this? Why release a game that's basically the same as Lead Storm, only a really crap version, that jerky scrolling version? Rubbish. Did you like it? No. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> it's a rather ugly and harsh on the ears conversion, this. Nice title screen, nice loading screen. Nice, yeah, nicely yeah. drawn yeah, loading yeah. screen, I'll give it that. They always do have that, don't they? Yeah, it's got a really odd control scheme. Up to speed yeah. up, fire to shoot, up and fire to jump. I was jumping a lot when yep. I didn't want to because yep. I was speeding up a lot because you have to keep yep. speeding up and not because I wanted to. So it's just a stupid control system, just stupid. Yep. Oh, I don't know. Bitty visuals, bad collision detections all over the place. I was shooting stuff, but it won't blowing up and things were somewhere near me and I'd blow up. And, oh, not very good music, I suppose. Ugh, ugly character graphics for bullets and the like. The bullets that just moved sort of not smooth at all. And it's a multi-load for some reason. A multi-load for this. I'm pretty sure Lead Storm was a single load, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe it was, yeah. All those levels, everything. Yeah, way better visuals, way better sounding, great music. Oh, smooth scrolling. I, I, don't, I don't know how, yes, very smooth scrolling, both left and right, and up and yep. down, all over the place. No doubt, no idea how this got 72%, 40, 30 to 40% every day of the week. It's not yep. as bad as some we've seen. It's not. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, the Cacola we've seen of Street Fighter or Karnov or what's that other one? But, no, what was that shooty one? Not Butcher Hill. What was the crappy one you're walking along shooting? Oh, there's um, too many of them. There's been too many of them this year, but it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as that, but it's it's in the tier up. But it's the tier text up, but it's still, it's still, a, it's not, it's not a seventy-two percent. That's no just chance. ridiculous. That puts it a few percent below Grand Prix Circuit. Seven percent below Sam Grand Prix Circuit. Yep. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry, no, I'm just not. I'm not accepting it. No, 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 no. It's it's not a very good game. Last Jewel. I don't. Even, I've never played it in the arcade. It's too obscure. And this is the thing: they're paying. You're paying ten quid for like, and you know, the adverts go the biggest, biggest game in the arcade. It's like no one's heard of it. We we had no. all the arcades here. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. No. Nope. Rubbish. It's rubbish. Drive along, jump off an edge, and don't come back. Rubbish. Let's move along quickly. Let's get into some something else. And the next one, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Chicago, Graham. 
It is Chicago. It is Chicago. It is the 1930s. This is Chicago 30s. Mm. And for £10 of your hard-earned dosh, you too can live out the thrill of something like The Untouchables before the official game comes out later this year, if you really uh. want to. I would not advise it, though. <laughs> this was another one released by US Gold. Another US Gold quality product. Yep. It's copyright Toposoft. It's coded by Pablo Toledo, who also did the music. And it's got gra- graphics by Johnny. Okay, fair enough. Just, just Johnny. Johnny. The story. Well, as we do sometimes, I'm just going to read straight from the instructions. This is the scenario. After the lively 20s, Chicago became a paradise for gangsters, traffickers, and various lawless individuals. There were daily mm. shootouts on every street corner. Daily. Every street yeah. corner. Daily. Showdowns among rival gangs and endless traffic in alcohol, which was prohibited by the government. In the midst of all this, there were men who still believed it possible to institute law and order. One of these was Detective Elliot. Okay, right, okay. <laughs> so it's not, right. I'm presuming it's the guy, for, it's the kid from ET, not Elliot Ness. <laughs> um, Elliot. So, yeah, one of these was Detective Elliot, a personage from po- very popular in Chicago, feared and respected by the underworld. The mission, Graham. <laughs> As Detective Elliot, it is your mission to deal the underworld one of its heaviest blows in order to weaken the principal power structure in Chicago. The objective, you've put an end to the alcohol trade and cut off the main source of income of mafiosi organizations. It is not an easy task. The city is crawling with gangsters in Al Capone's employ, just waiting to take a <laughs> shot at you at the earliest possible opportunity. You'll be yeah. entirely alone, as it's a secret operation for the Chicago oh, police, sake. and secrecy is the key to success. Is you it? have to cross the city until you get to the clandestine warehouse where illegal beverage traffic is conducted. Oh, God's sake. There you go. That's your story. Classic. So, this is a walk and gun type of game. Very reminiscent in play of something like Robocop, and that mm. you walk from right to left. No, left to right. Sorry, left to right. And enemies stream in from either side, and you must shoot them, all of them, forever. Yep. That's what you do, forever. When the game loads, you get some very strange film-like intro with credits and the like, but they're over really quickly. <laughs> it's another one that's it's just... really strange. It's like, it's like that speed zone. It's like, oh, just got to get to the... I yep. thought something was wrong. I don't know whether I'd taken something. Um, I'm glad you saw that as well. Um, and then you get greeted with the game itself. As seems to be the flavor of the week, the title screen has the level graphic scrolling past with the name of the game on. So similar to what we nice. saw with Re- Renegade. This takes up the top three quarters of the screen. At the bottom of the screen, though, is what appears to be a cinema with people in the seats. Yeah, I couldn't get my head around that. Well, it seems to be saying that this entire game is a film being shown for these patrons of the cinema, I'm guessing. Weird. Uh, in keeping with this, there's someone hammering on a piano. And the music mm. that plays is simply an affront to the ears. Oh, it God, is that music. It's just dreadful. So it's awful. Awful. And it goes on. Just da, 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 this little sprite going away. Oh, there's some options, such as music, effects, or joystick, or keyboard. Okay. Quick stab of the fire button gets the game going with a blink and you'll miss it, 54321. I don't even know why that's there. I don't know. And then it starts. Everything is very blue. I guess it's nighttime because the backgrounds are very blue. It's all very blue. Um... You have to make your way through four stages of action. As I said, they are the port, the suburbs, the city, and as noted in the mission, the clandestine warehouse. Now, I have to ask you, Graham, what makes a warehouse clandestine? Uh, yes, that's a very good question. <laughs> because clandestine does, I don't, that word you, you keep using, I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they thought of that. Um, the gameplay is simple walk and shoot shoot everything enemies spew on and you try to shoot them some of them pop up from behind crates 
Uh, and some of them pop up from manhole covers. Shoot them as well. Just shoot everything. You can jump to the level above the floor by pressing up when you reach some stairs. So, you got, you, so it's, essentially, it's a 2D walk and, walk and gun, and there's two levels. So kind of like Rolling Thunder, I suppose. Um, it's probably another uh, sort of thing for this. But it's just chaotic. And you can jump up. So when you get some stairs, if you push up, you'll sort of jump because you can jump. And then he'll, only then will he jump to the level, even though your normal jump takes you above the, the back, the sort of secondary level. It's just nonsense. It doesn't change anything, though. Enemies just spew on still, far too numerous. The C64 struggles to display them. Everything is very flickery. You thought Renegade was flickery. Well, this takes flickering Oof. to a whole other level. Get um, it. It's just, just, just a flickering nightmare. Bullets disappear, everything disappears. It's just stuff. It's just a nightmare of flicker. In levels two and three, you get to drive a car, which makes you invulnerable for a while. But then so do the enemies, and this must be blown up uh, with a grenade or something. You get you, you, but to shoot stuff, you have to lean out, and that makes you you can get shot again. I don't know. Who cares? Not that any of this matters. Nothing that matters, really. This is a poor game. The enemy shoots bullets that sometimes you can see, and sometimes you cannot. So you, sometimes you just die, and you can never see that bullet. Sometimes your bullets will hit them, and sometimes they will not. This is probably all down to the flickering multiplexer that's going on, that's just yep. having some kind of seizure in the background. Um, <laughs> because it's just all over the place. The number and speed of them make this a game where you can barely move for being overwhelmed. So many of them, it's just, you know, someone's just, they just vomited onto the screen without a, a care in the world. Correct. Um, and you'll be shot by a bullet you can never see. The graphics are medium res, weirdly coloured. The music will drive you mad, and the sound effects sound like they come from a sci-fi game. It's yes, really do. weird. It's got laser noises. <laughs> You're in Chicago in the 1930s, firing Tommy guns, and it's like, pew, 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 pew. It's just pew, stupid. Pew. What so I can only presume, it's certainly not the sounds of something from 1930 Chicago. So the guy did it. I have a feeling this wasn't meant to be this game. I think US Gold said, oh, the Untouchables game is coming out. We haven't got the license. We want a piece of that thingy. Can you change the graphics? Can you make something that is like mm-hmm. that somewhere? Mm-hmm. I think that's... And, and and then, the, but the sound effects never got changed. And who cares anyway? Because it's got the music in place. Doesn't matter. The lives are weird because when you die, one of the patrons get out up from the cinema and walk on. So it's some kind of like what can only sort of liken to like a last action hero style magic yeah. ticket type thing. Yeah, totally. Don't it's a that. confusing mess of a title. This really confusing. And and don't forget, like a couple of few issues back, few episodes back, we had Zamzara at a budget did, price. Yeah. You know. Uh, you know, which is a running, a running gun, but you know, a really good budget running gun. So the fact that US Gold are trying to rip off people who wanted something like the Untouchables with Detective Elliot for ten quid, uh, you know, shonky. You know, more evidence of the shonky business practices. Just terrible. Mm. This ten quid, a budget price. This would have been a bad game, but Correct. ten quid. Ah, uh, I wish I brought a gun to this knife fight. It's all I can think of for this damn thing. <laughs> rubbish, just rubbish. Yeah, and it got four. It still got forty two percent. This is a low low teens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> rubbish. What did this, you think? <laughs> what do I think to this? It's another US gold dump, um, right in the chest of the C sixty four. I mean, come on. Firstly, the music. Um, I mean, the music in this is so absolutely dreadful and annoying. It defies belief. A shrill, ear-splitting 10-second loop, so utterly devoid of musicality, you'll find yourself preferring the screaming sound of a million party trumpets directly to your ears. Um, and then the game. An oddly coloured and thematic... I've, I, I had it as a Green Beret-ish kind of... And that's just because you're walking from the left you know, doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but a, a walking gangster-themed nightmare. So insanely difficult, it actually defies understanding as we know it. Walk and shoot, stupid. Prone shots only kill the midgets in it. So even if you shoot the ankles of the people who are walking, it doesn't kill them with your gun. 
stupid. The graphics are a fusion of odd colors and some occasionally okay pixel shading, but your main sprite blends in with everything anyway. Everything mm-hmm. looks the same because they're all based off the same sprite set. And the gra- these graphic glitches everywhere. I mean, the first level has loads of weird graphic fidgets and glitches occurring all over the shop. Like you say, with the multiplex has gone wild. The second level where you drive a car is even worse because mm-hmm. he's supposed to pop out the top of the car and be able to shoot. It just it just flickered and twitched and it was like, what is this rubbish? Plus, you, if, you, if you hit somebody with a car, it doesn't kill them. Nope. You hit them with a car. Scrolling, I guess you could say it was okay. What is it? It's just scrolling, isn't it? But even that had its own issues because of all the flickering and the twitching and the sort of flutter bugs. Nightmare. It was just tiresome and repetitive and a plod that quickly frustrated and disappointed at the same time. That's clever that it did that. You get angry and disappointed at the same time. That's 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 a unique US gold skill. (laughs) That's two conflicting emotions to handle in a human body. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Exactly. You know, they've created an oxymoronic feeling. (laughs) Which is clever. You know, it's clever that they've created some kind of simulation or simuloid for that. Um, maybe somewhere underneath this, I suppose you could, what you could argue is there's a nice idea for a game because it's not their idea, which is a gangster-based sort of shoot, walk and shoot, you know, in a rolling thunder with gangsters. That's a good idea. It's not US Gold's idea, though. This is a rip-off, and at this price, do me a favour to stop. All right, this would be crap at budget. Chicago 30s, nah. Get lost, rubbish. Utter, utter rubbish. What US Gold, honestly... I mean, there we were thinking that there wasn't going to be a challenge to some of the crowns that we've had, you know, and now US Gold come romping in in the final <laughs> furlong, don't they, with all this utter garbage they're releasing. Some might say wow, that US so. Gold might have slipped as a brown envelope full of money to uh, <laughs> for these awards. Yeah, <laughs> it was it a brown envelope full of brown. <laughs> it wasn't full of money, that was the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, yeah. It was, it was uh, full of peace of mind, which was empty. Um, no, I don't want to be frustrated and I don't want to be disappointed and I don't want that to occur at the same time. So get lost and take this crappy game with you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Yeah, it's goodbye, Chicago 30s. Um, 30s is too high for you. Yeah. Um, let's move on to... I've <laughs> got two more left. Let's move on to uh, an ultimate game. Maybe not, maybe it is. And Graham, it's time for you to take a journey to the centre of the earth. God's sake. <laughs> US gold and rainbow <laughs> arts together facing each other and they are one. And they've they combined are... their unique talents to create this utter piece of shit. <laughs> they were 9 <laughs> probably more on disc. Who knows? Who, who, who actually cares? 20% Zap gave this, which is, you know, generous really. Released uh, by, uh, mis- sorry, published mis- by Chip Software. Is that Mr. Chip Software? I don't know. Nah. The musician is just none because there isn't any music in this that I could identify. <laughs> yeah. It's just quite a silent game, really. Um, so you'll start this game um, and it's loosely based-ish on the Jules Verne story of Journey to the Centre of the Earth. You know, people go to the mm-hmm. centre of the earth, you know, and, adv- and have adventures and stuff. That's as close as a relation to this game as that is ever going to be. <laughs> and, that, and that's just those words in that sentence. There's no... More thought. There's probably characters maybe from the book or the story. You won't care. You won't care. Um, firstly, set your visual dexterity to brown because pretty much everything <laughs> in this is going to be brown, shades of brown or crusty yellow with bits of brown attached. So it's it's all gone a bit brown. And I'm guessing they're trying to go for this kind of aged effect or let's hide the you know quality graphics from the Amiga version effect in, in some kind of rust. Um, doesn't work. So when the game starts, you can choose from four different characters. That's Eric Gunnison, the geologist, Francis Rutherford, the paleontologist, 
Antonio Rossi, um, the geologist uh, slash mineralogist, and Louis Bordal, the biochemist slash mineralogist. It won't matter. There could be a, a veterinary surgeon and an egg specialist. They aren't going to help you in this. They're not <laughs> going to help you. Knowing those things about them won't help you, really. Um, there's no sound I-, I could ascertain, so that immediately means this game that's about an exciting journey to the centre of the Earth is completely silent. That kind of kills the atmosphere a bit, really. The initial mm-hmm. stages of most of this are boxes of text that appear to tell you the sort of the story-ish on badly digitised or redrawn versions of the Amiga ST graphics. I think, I, I have a feeling, these are been somehow scanned off the um, Amiga and the Tari ST. I don't believe these are, these haven't been redrawn. And so I think that someone's perhaps taken a picture of them and then they've digitally scanned that into it through an 8-bit scanner of some kind at the time. Because that's how they look. These are not like the classic cinemaware redraws. This is as far from that as you could possibly get. And this game is trying to really lean into the whole cinemaware thing. You've never seen such a spectacular failure though. I mean, goodness me, they couldn't have got this more wrong if they tried. Everything mm-hmm. about the cinemaware games that's exciting, remove all of that. And then you kind of got what you've got left here. Anyway, so um, after you've chosen your person with, and you've had a series of state box, and by the way, when these load in, and it's a you know, massive multi-loading thing, when these load in, you'll get a, an image, then a brown box will appear and it's just empty. <laughs> and then the text sort of goes, and sort of spills into it. You're like, oh, so they're loading the text in. It's so dreary. Anyway, then you get the welcome. So, and this gives you a little bit of the story. Professor Lindengraw, his nephew Axel Lindengraw, and his guide, Hans Bjerk, have all returned after a mysterious three months' absence. It, only it wasn't mysterious because they went to the centre of the earth and back. So we might have called it a mysterious absence, but it's mysterious because nobody believes them. But apparently they found a 16th century Icelandic parchment written by Arni Saknusum that was their reason for the departure on their adventure. The parchment gave instructions, and the instructions were as follows. Go to the crater at the bo- bottom of the Sneffels volcano and check it out. There you go. That's your instructions. So that's what you've got to do. Get to the centre of the earth. That's the idea and premise of this game. Journey to the centre of the earth. That's what you've got to do. You could make that exciting. Think of all the things you could have done in a game that involves you needing to drill a, get a, get some kind of vehicle, drill a sort of all the way to the centre of the earth, all the things that you find, and then think of the film of that. Dinosaurs down there, a whole other world, whole other species yeah, of people. Read the book. Yeah, mate. There's a whole world down there. Now, get rid of all that because you ain't going to need that. Um, <laughs> there's a nice image of a mountain. I'll give it that, you know, as it loads, okay? And then there'll be more loading, and then there's more loading. And then you get another block of text, um, and you'll set off uh, to get to the century of the Earth and back, following that same guide, and then you'll get some more loading, and some more loading as well. Then you get some more 16 to 8-bit scan renders, more text, um, and then it'll tell you that you've gone down 3,000 foot down the volcano, and then you'll get more loading, and then there's more loading, and more loading, and then a blank screen for quite some time, <laughs> then more loading, <laughs> then more loading, and then it's very hard to explain what appears in front of you then as a game to play, but I'll try. <laughs> it's meant to be um, you as a player having to navigate a um, journey upwards, in up the, I think up the side of a volcano or cave, even though you're going down a volcano. So you've got to go up but even though you're going down. I don't know why it does that. Anyway, so the idea is that you start at the bottom right and you have to walk across and then walk up sort of various hills. Now, all you have to do is push the joystick all the way to the left. And then when he, when the little player sprite that you've got gets to that side, hopefully you won't get hit by any of the falling rocks, which you will, but hopefully you won't because it just knock you onto the floor. You'll get all the way to the left and then um, he will automatically jump up to the slope and you'll push to the right and he'll go up the slope and you've got to avoid the rocks again. You go and do that all the way up to the right-hand side, and then again you'll go and you'll be walking on kind of ledge. Imagine walking on kind of cliffside ledges. Now the graphics for this are almost inexplicable, really. Um, you are a green shirt thing. There's a, a, a sort of hair in a face. Your legs 
blend into the background and so do your feet. So it's really hard to distinguish what you are, but you're a humanoid and um, you kind of animate. And, you know, is that animation really? It just kind of, you know, I don't know what that is really. Anyway, so the idea is to get to the top and get, enter the cave. Now, the weird thing is here that I thought you were already down the volcano and look, let's not debate all of that. What you, you won't really be able to see what you're doing because you, not only do the, the rocks that sort of fall down blend in with the cave as well, it's really hard to tell what's going on anyway. So that's how, yeah, that's the game you constantly run. And by the way, when you start this, you don't control the guy running that's already running. He just runs. You control which direction he runs, but you can't stop. So yeah. no matter what you do, he just, he runs constantly. So he runs left. And if you need to go back, he doesn't stop. He runs to the right and then runs to the left and runs to the right. So he's just constantly running, which is really stupid. Why do that? <laughs> um, so yeah, the joystick controls your left and right direction then. Uh, the rocks fall. You've got to guide the player to the edge. Like I said, he goes to the next slope, goes up, avoid getting hit by rocks. That's that. And then once you've done that, you end up you end up separate after more loading. After that, you end up separated from the group. And then after more text loading, you're heading into the forest of mushrooms. God help us. Um, then there's more loading. Then it said insert the next disc and then press the mouse button. Like, um, okay, I think um, I'm sensing a great tremor in the force, but okay, you know. So then I did that, and then I was presented with the next controlling screen. Now, this has to be the most confusing screen I have come across in many a year. The thing I recognized on it was a face, which is on the top right. It's on some kind of wooden background, a plank. On the left-hand side, there's a map. On that map, I'm guessing it's it's a map of the volcano structure. Um, now, I can only describe what, I, what you can see. On that sort of side view of, of the of the <laughs> volcano... There's what looks like a giant hand or a piece of toast on a spike inside one cave hole, three pockets of gas, a dog bone, another pocket of gas, and the Acropolis. Um, interspersed with kind of lines that I think indicate pathways, although it's not clear. So the, and then on that, there's also a time and a date. The, on the right, there's a, a picture of somebody um, in sort of, again, in scano vision. Underneath that, there's four controlling arrows which i'm guessing on the mouse control of the amiga and st probably made sense here make no sense because it just makes it uncontrollable underneath that there's a stamp or what looks like a stamp or a picture frame with what looks like a bottle on it with an x over it so i'm guessing poison or some kind or something <laughs> and then underneath that is a row of icons now i don't know what these are there's four the four on the left are f w v and p and then above that what looks like nappies i think <laughs> in the middle there's a of some kind of energy meter with a love heart over it and what looks like a thermometer. Then to the right of that, you've got hammer and chisel, which is obviously used. And the idea of the game is you've got to chisel and, and manage and navigate your way down into the journey to the center of the earth. So there's a hammer and chisel. There's a giant R, letter R. There's a medical box and there's sleep, like a zzz. And that's, you present it with that and that's it. I mean, you didn't so, understand what to do? No, because the, even the instructions that I found for this, such as they were, didn't really give anything away about that. Nope. So... I'm looking at this thing thinking, what am I supposed to do? So I clicked on the arrows thinking, okay, maybe I'll change direction. There was nothing changed on the screen. It just made a sound. I'm like, okay. Clicked on the bottle thing. Nothing happened. Clicked on the F, W, V, and P. Didn't do anything. So went, clicked on the uh, pickaxe thing and it made a pick, 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 pick sound. Then it went, Meh. and my energy went down. <laughs> clicked on the R and nothing happened. I just, I, I could not make heads or tails of what on earth this was all about. Um, so there are meant to be other views. I could not get any of them to activate, even with the manual. I could not find a way into this. I maybe it malfunctioned or something. I don't know, but I could not find a way into this after that particular screen. Once I got to that point, 
it was completely unclear what on earth it was meant to be doing. And I'm guessing the Amiga version has more details around the side. It must have. And all of us remember is in almost total silence. So there's not even really any giveaways about anything else. Um, and then there's so much loading in it as well. So anytime you cook on something, every now and again, it just loads for ages. And you're like, oh my God, I wish I hadn't bothered. The key issue here, really, out of all of this, this is a crap game anyway. So a 16-bit version of this is just going to be 16-bit, you know, 8-bit version of a 16-bit piece of crap. It's really, really dull. There is literally no excitement in this game. None. This is neither a journey to the center. Of, this isn't even a journey to the center of a shopping market or a journey to the center of a fresh new place in Grimsby. This is this is nothing. That would be more exciting. And let me tell you, there's not a lot in there these days. So so much loading, so little in the way of adventure. Um, the load to adventure payoff here is low. All the screens have that weird bleached brown scan type effect, which makes it feel really dreary on the eye. Your eyeballs will age a hundred years <laughs> watching when you play this game. You'll, you'll feel, you know, your body won't, but your eyes do. Um, it's quite remarkable, actually. Um, it's a game based on something exciting, but has everything exciting that you can possibly imagine, including colour removed and sound removed from it. So you end up with, you know, I mean, that, this is surgical level defunning of something. It's quite remarkable, really. They, they, you know, if you were to define, someone said to you, make me the most boring thing you could possibly imagine based on this particular thing. This is this is it. This is the pinnacle of that. This has de- been defund with such surgical precision that Jack the Ripper will be stood going, wow, that's pretty cool. And he, you know, he, he was a master of defunding stuff, that guy. <laughs> um, or person, whomever it may have been. So no, this was crap. Utter, utter crap. It's a journey to the boring of the boring with extra added boring made in the most boring possible way by boring people, boring. Never again. About you. <laughs> Where the hell is the game? Where is it? I don't know. It's in there somewhere. Where is it? It's where in is, the centre of the earth. <laughs> boring. I've got those. I write boring a lot. A boring litany of text and bitty, ugly pictures led to me led me to running back and forth along a screen that made Bob Winner look like Winter Games. <laughs> And I was done. True. I was done at that point. And then I, well, I had a look at it. I was like, what is this? I did, I did, and then I had to, to be asked after endless text and one bit of action, you know, you, you're asked to change the disc. I was like, what have you done? What have you yeah. done on that side? What have I just having to read about? What was it? As uh, a, a geologist, um, yeah. you wrote, you wrote, sent me a message. You can play these four exciting characters. I was like, oh, God. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing says exciting like being able to play, pick between a geologist and a. Uh, a virologist a min- a, or whatever it was, a mineralogist. mineralogist, a paleontologist. Like, oh, hold me back! Oh, hold no. me back! God, exciting. <laughs> I won't do it. This was literally like journeying to the center of the earth. In how long it all took? Why is every yeah. page of text a disk access? Why? I mean, the Commodore sixty four can hold a fair bit of text in its yeah, memory. A fair bit of text in, yeah, sixty four k. You know, thirty k is quite a lot of text. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus, especially in little genius. boxes like that. I know, but every time it had to bring up a new box, like load. Load. It's, it's, it's 170k just... on each side of a disc as well. I know. There's four sides to this, isn't there? Four. <laughs> Good Lord. Tedious, dull, and ugly. Boring, boring, boring. Now, though, however, interestingly, the graphics for the Amiga version, I think, were done by a Mr. Eric Chahi. Do you know who wow. he is? Okay. Yeah, I do know Eric Chahi. Yeah, yeah. he did out of this world, didn't he? Did, yeah, he ate out of this world, world yeah. from from dusk um, on the 360 and PS3 and stuff. So, yeah. so this is you know one of his early. It, it worked. It worked on other stuff before this, but the only interesting person out of this sort of thing that I noticed the name was like, oh, Eric Chahi worked on this. So um, mm. I can he did so obviously probably did some of the visuals on the Amiga version. I'm thinking he, he supplied the but, biscuits. I think, <laughs> but well, he's down as graphics. But if you think about that running guy and going through caves, yeah, and then you think about this world. 
Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's yeah. a. Oh, okay. okay. He's taken yeah, that one screen. Is that, and, is that how it starts? Is it another world? Is that how it starts? I think so. You're on. Yeah, I can't remember. I mean, I remember playing yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, so you run across and you get that thing chasing you, don't you? Have to swim yeah. across. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but there's a lot of in cave stuff. Yeah. Yeah, all rotoscoped animation and stuff in it. That yeah, sort yeah, of thing. And yeah. you think of that main character, but you think of probably on the Amiga, it probably looked a bit like that, maybe. Yeah, actually. And to be fair, he's seen this game and gone. I'm going. I'm going to make sure I never make a game like that again. No. I'm going to do actually traveling through rocks and caves yeah. and stuff, but in an interesting way. Yeah, he learned how to not do it, that's, which is good. You know, sometimes that's just as important as learning how to do something. Absolutely, yeah. You learn from your mistakes, and he clearly yeah. learned. Yeah, then, just a bit. There we go. Journey to the center of the boring. <laughs> yeah, another US gold dog egg. God, they're, yeah. they're really clocking him up at the moment, aren't they? The clogging us up. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Oh, we've got one left. Let's let's move along um, and we'll get onto that. And we're back into the future here in Ace 2088. Ooh. So to round off May's games, we have the return of Ace from Cascade. But this time it's Space Ace. Mm. <laughs> or as it's called Very here, good. Ace 2088. Uh, moving on from the very good first game, mediocre second one, coder and creator of the series, Ian Martin, has taken the dogfighting into space and tasked you with rescuing 118 planets across 32 star systems. Although the status screen in game only states 100 enemy planets, but you know, mm. what's 18 planets between friends? Um, and you have to do this in your trusty Ziegler 2 fighter with only the mothership Deliverance for backup. Mm. This is a hefty task indeed. Or as the instructions call it, the final conflict. And we already had that this week. Won't renegade yeah. the final conflict. Yes, it was the final chapter. Oh, that's the final cra- crap. Yeah, this is the final conflict. Oh, no, no, no. Final conflict. No, 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 no. Another one of them. Uh, backing up Mr. Martin here, we have John Cassells and Damon Redmond on visuals and no one on music because there is none. 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 The game has no music. Now, I don't normally do this, but the instructions of this are so descriptive, it also pains me not to use them, so I will. After the OK title screen, pressing the fire starts the game. So the instructions for this basically tell you <laughs> step by step what to do. It's kind of crazy how, you know, some to give you a brief do. sort of do to do this, that, that, just do this, follow these steps. Okay. Content instructions, the game has two sections. Section one is called Deliverance. This is where you control the Deliverance command console on the Deliverance mothership. The screen has a CRT monitor on it. It's 2088. Where's my LCD? Where's my LED? Where's my OLED? <laughs> Just, no, CRT. So an options panel and a location display. Options available to you. You've got a little sort of thing at the, in the bottom right. You can see most of the screen is taken up with this, the monitor, the picture of the CRT monitor. It's nicely drawn. Looks good. And then you've got some options down in the bottom right-hand corner. And the first one is Star Chart. This allows you to select which system you wish to go to on the CRT to display. Essentially, what it is, you get like a load of little dots, and you can just flick between them and pick one, press fire, and that's, that's where you're going. So uh, that's it. Uh, system, that's the next option, gives you information on the CRT screen about the star system you are in and the number of planets there. Tactical tells you whether the planet you are currently orbiting is hostile, um, how many enemies they have. <laughs> this made me laugh because the number of enemies is like six. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, true. Seven. Uh, 
Oh, all right. Okay. Tacticals tells you whether the planet you're currently orbiting is hostile. Uh, yeah, so tactical tells you whether the planet you're currently orbiting is hostile, how many enemies have, as I said, and how many bases need to be destroyed. Datus tells you how many planets you have won over, allows you to quit, save, and load your game. And finally, there is the fighter option. So this brings up like a picture of the sort of a vector graphic image of your, uh, looks nice, of your one of your three Ziegler 2s, because there's only three left. You started with seven, it tells you, but there's only three left. Like, why tell me that? <laughs> that doesn't imbue me with confidence that these craft are any good. No. So you've got options here. You can arm this. So the first option is you can arm one of your Ziegler three, twos with long-range missiles, fusion bombs, rear missiles, a rapid recharger, and finally some high shielding. Uh, once you're armed to the teeth, you can launch. Uh, you can launch and off you trot into space. Here. We switch to a 3D view of space. You'll start off facing a big planet. Usually it's a big round, that brown thing. That's what I normally got, a big brown round mm. thing. And there's some wobbly stars. I know it's controls <laughs> are up and down, uh, for up and down, and left and right to rotate your craft. I seem to think, is this similar to Elite? That's the same kind yeah. of control system as Elite, isn't it? Um, and fire to shoot your lasers. You can arm your long-range missiles with L, arm your the rear ones with R, uh, and T uh, gives you your antimatter torpedo. Uh, plus and minus speeds you up and slows you down, whilst M initiates autopilot back to the deliverance, and N plots a course to the planet directly in front of you, and W toggles between the scanner and your weapons loadout. The screen here is split, not quite in the middle. The smaller section at the top shows your view of space. Uh, the rest of the screen is the dashboard for your ship. This shows the game time, so how long you've been playing, the direction of the bases when on a planet, uh, your speed. So this is across the top. You've got a little bar across the top of the sort of UI of the dashboard. Mm. So you'll have an arrow that pops up. So you've got your speed, your energy shields, and anti antimatter torpedo recharge rate. These are little four little bars. You also have an elite style scanner. So another elite style scanner that we've got in this thing that's in the bottom left. Um, and there's an empty space on the right for messages to appear so when you do stuff. So just press N and you head for the planet. You don't have to do anything. You, you just don't do anything. You might say there's some aliens about it. Just press N and you'll automatically just go to the planet. It don't matter about the enemies. Just press N. Suddenly your screen will fill with brown um, <laughs> and the scanner will show you entering the atmosphere. So it's got this kind of nice animation in your scanner bit. It's you know sort of the planet sort of zooming in. And eventually you'll level out on the planet with the horizon now taking up the top view. So if you've armed if you've um, armed yourself with some bombs, which you should have done, if you don't, it says you don't have any bombs and you have to go back. Press yeah. B brings up a targeting square in the middle of your view at the top, um, and the arrow on the dashboard will tell you the direction to the base. It'll point left or right. Turn that way until it suddenly points up. So it'll be a bit, you probably go past it. So you come back till it points up. And what you do then, so you've got this square in the middle, which is your bomb targeting reticle, which I think is supposed to be like a view of the, the ground. Mm. Um, and then you just wait. A small black dot will still appear in it at the top and then move through it. Get it in the center um, and press fire to release a bomb when it's in the middle. That's it. Should you be successful, you'll be told in the message panel that you've been successful. Um, and if all the bases are destroyed, you'll get a message as to what weapons have been captured. And that's it. And you'll zoom off the planet back to the mothership to select another planet and do it all again. If you run out of bombs, you can just press M and go back to the mothership. Again, it's all automated. Head back to the mothership, get some more bombs, come back, press N, try to do it again, repeat. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. On the planet, there's supposed to be enemies. You'll never get bothered by them. They just freeze. They just hang there in space just in front of me. That's what they were doing with me. I was like, what are they doing? They're actually more bothered if you try and they're like, they get bothered. They're like wasps. And if you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone. <laughs> but, but if you, you know, go after them, they'll get annoyed. So I think, just leave them alone. Just leave them alone. Yeah, All right, whatever it is. So, so there are some nice technical elements to this. 
the onboard computer and displays as you load up and pick a system and the like, they're really nicely done. I really did like how that whole system worked. Once you get used to what each option does and you can zoom in. And, you know, it's it's an early version of – there's an early crossover here sort of thing. So it's an early version of something like the, the galaxy map in Mass Effect. You know, mm. it's that because you've got little dots. That's the map. You pick which one. You go to that system. There's no or anything, I think, but you just go to that system. Then you can bring up what planets are in that system, and then you can click on that planet, and then you go to that planet. All different. So in that respect, you can see that Mass Effect sort of angle there. Yeah. There's also the option, um, the transition from space to planet is seamless in that it, you know, you press them once you get close to it, it's like boom, it fills the brown, then you sort of come up. There's no sort of cut load or anything like that. No difference sort of thing. It just happens. And the sort of little animation that you get that you zoom into the planet and think it's nice. Some really nice tech here. And and that reminded me of something like No Man's Sky and things like that and the Star Citizen mm. and, and that way down the line, which do that sort of when you go into a planet's atmosphere and then you zoom in and you start zooming across and then you land and there's all that sort of thing. I don't think we've ever seen it done on here. I think the closest maybe was Rescue on Fractalis. Did that happen? You go from space to Mercenary to did, I think. Planet? And I suppose Mercenary does right at the very beginning, but it's a one-off thing in it. I suppose this mm. does it repeatedly is what I mean. So, yeah, Mercenary, but not, not this is kind of a bit more – there's more to it. There's different colored planets as well. Mm. So, yeah, but of course, this that's it. There's nowhere near, you know, it's not as good as No Man's Sky, but it's ambitious, and you've got the face, space fight and all that stuff. The rest of the game, though, is just dull, because there is no game. The enemies are pointless. I found that yeah. just ignoring them, as I said, left them hanging near my window. I just drop bombs on the bases and clear planets easily. Um, you don't really have to navigate anywhere. You just press N to head to a planet, B to arm, and follow an arrow, and then M to head back to the mothership once you've blown everything up. Uh, there's very little for you to do in this. You, you, if you want to sort of play around with the enemies, you can just arm a long-range missile, missile. It'll automatically lock on. You can fire and they'll blow up. No challenge. There's nothing you can really do. You also you get loads of everything as well. Maybe as it gets on later, I don't know, it may get harder. I just found it got really boring really quickly. There's nothing here that gets the pulse racing. An attempt to automate this game, the player agency has almost been completely removed. And with it, any chance to engage the player and make them feel like they're in control. It may open up as it goes on, but it, it, I played it for quite a while and nothing, it just doing the same thing over and over again. Now, that wasn't the case in the original Ace, nor in Ian Martin's other, you know, technically decent game, but was a bit short, that Skyrunner that he made um, mm. with, the, with the sort of, you know, really cool 3D effect and sort of sort of Return of the Jedi style uh, speeder bikes. This feels like a lot of very clever tech with the game removed and what could have been an interesting evolution of games like Star Fox and things like that. So it feels just, it feels completely redundant. I don't know. I don't want to feel like a passenger in an action game. And for vast waves of this, that's what you are. It, it's not quite arse 2088, which is what I was going to call it, but it's not far off. It's pointless. It's just empty. It's agency-less. 2088 you're just mm. manning a ship and then pressing some buttons and Absolutely. i wanted a bit more action and chasing stuff down on the planet and things like that and if you if it have got the dogfighting of ace in here with the you know going from planet to planet and taking down enemies and bombing stuff so there's an exciting game here it's just been stripped away by the need to let me control everything mm. shame bit of a shame because there's an interesting attempt here but it's not quite come off what did you think yeah, it, it buried in here somewhere. There is probably a half decent game, I think, buried a bit. This is a bit of a leap, isn't it? A gigantic leap from the previous Ace games into kind of elite Captain Blood space explorer territory. Mm. It's not good territory to be in, though, really. Dogfights don't generally work well in space, I have to say. Uh, some of the details, I guess, and the UI, okay, I suppose, but they control pretty poorly for what they are, and it lacks the dynamics needed to make it feel anything other than just another elite clone. It just doesn't have enough of the interesting bits or anything else to really pull that off, mm. at least for the surface anyway. Flying your Ziegler 2 fighter was okay, I suppose. It just feels a bit like, exactly as you say, actually, I've written soulless, but 
I think that's the, exactly the same vibe that you've felt. It's just, it feels like a dreary, soulless affair. Bland graphics for space, which I guess is pretty bland anyway, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Weird colours on your radar, um, where there are this kind of parts that I suspect if you go into it, there's probably some interest maybe. But, you know, if you're into star jumping orbits, you know, launching, fighting, I don't know, maybe there's something for you. But for me, there's limited appeal in, in, in Ace anyway, and Ace 2 they were okay for what they were, but it was the dogfighting stuff that kind of held the glue for them, particularly in the first one. Take that into space, it doesn't work. Was it necessary to do that even, really? Don't know. Um, I mean, ironically, you know, we're a little bit monkey paw, aren't we here? Um, we've often asked for a hint of sci-fi in games, you know, just possibly a bit of sci-fi. This is not a giant squid, though, is it? Which is, you know, we are specific We had that, though, in for. the deep. We had a giant jellyfish. It didn't, it didn't help. <laughs> um, but this is probably a leap too far, I guess. And the interstellar, you know, the requirements of interstellar travel take its toll on a game, I think, and its game design. It can very quickly become dreary because floating around, you know, dots in in a black void, it's not very interesting, is it? Unless you can make it interesting. And to do that, you need a lot of stuff going on and things happening, and this just doesn't have that. It's disappointingly boring. Um, Ace twenty eighty eight. It's a shame. There's probably some good technical chops in in and around all of it. I don't doubt that. Yeah, yeah. But it just doesn't come together as a as a whole. It just doesn't feel very exciting. I hate to say it, but it's a bit of a misfire. Got 58%, didn't it? Probably about right. But yes. then again, their scores are crazy. So I'd say it got seven bananas, which is, you know, <laughs> which is probably about right. So it's got 13 quatloos. Yeah. Just a bit yeah. disappointing. A bit, bit bland on the eye, actually. Very eye bland. Bit, not as bad as Journey to the Earth, which is very bland on the eye, <laughs> but it's just space. We've said it. How many times have we said it? Space is a great big emptiness. Yeah, but keep putting well it's, it's easy to it's easy to make it look like space though wouldn't it well do you know but remember years ago when you know when we're teaching you know video game environment design and we said look the category one mistake that everyone makes when they first get a unity or first get unreal actually perhaps more than unity is that they build these giant warehouses and then just you know, wonder why they put loads of barrels and things around the edges and stuff like that and then they end up with a great big massive void in the middle and go oh look this is my level it's like there's nothing in it because you created a giant empty space and that requires filling and to do that you're only going to fill it with objects and this is exactly the same you make a game about space you better fill it with interesting stuff because otherwise it's just space space is famous for having nothing in it really it is there you go that's my two pennies worth bit of a dreary old thing this yeah shame really game could have been all right but it wasn't and there we go that's our last game or is it is it our last game? Is it? No, it's not. No. Because we've got a little bit of a, well, a little bit of a sojourn. We don't normally do this. We don't normally no, do sort of re-release things. However, also reviewed in this issue of Zap was the 299 re-release or remastering, I guess. This is almost like an early remaster. Um, it is really. Uh, and we got Heavy Metal Paradroid was reviewed um, in this issue. So because, um, you know, what's the bin? I mean, there's been a few good games, Silkworm, Bomb Fusion, Run the Gauntlet last week, but not much this week. We just thought we needed something to cheer us up. Yeah, we did. So yeah, we played some Heavy Metal Paradroid <laughs> and thought we'd just actually remind ourselves just how good it was. And how did you find your... Um, I, because I... As soon as it turned on and it sort of read, I never played this version and I looked at those graphics and that's quite nice. It's quite a nice way of doing those heavy metal stuff. And as soon as I got into the game, I I could tell that it was the, because he did that recent, he did that other re-release, didn't he, which had smoother scrolling. So it's incorporated that. The competition version. Yeah, the competition. So this felt smoother, better. And as soon as I started playing it, I was like, oh my God, why aren't games this good anymore? (laughs) Why? Why? Because this is fantastic. I mean, it's it got they gave it ninety seven percent because they couldn't not. I mean, two ninety nine for a Paradroid game, even nineteen eighty nine is 
you know, it's manner from heaven at this point compared to what yes. some of the other stuff we're playing. Um, I I was playing this for quite a while. I loved it. Just Paradroid Same. again. It's Ace. What? How did yeah. you feel? It. I mean, did you play this one before? Have you met a Paradroid? Yeah, I've played all the Paradroids, and this this is. I always remember. I remember it being particularly good. Um, this one had really unusual Commodore 128 enhancements as well. So you could load this version into oh, the really? Commodore 128. And when you, if I don't want the Commodore 128, you can type Go 64 and it turns into a Commodore 64. Yeah. And then when you load this version in, it has um, enhancements. So it actually utilizes the two megahertz power of the C128. So it actually, it's a, you know, it's more accomplished, it does more stuff. Oh, cool. that. A couple of games did that, but this one definitely did that. And how did I feel about playing it? Well, the first thing I was relieved um, because um, it, made, it it was came along to school every other game we've played for this episode. Yeah, that you know, a game built when was it in nineteen eighty five? Was it original Paradox yeah, came 85. out? Yes, a yeah. game, and that, so and this is graphic enhancements in this version. So the scrolling and the few scrolling enhancements, everything else. This game ran runs at twenty five frames a second flat rate. That's what it does. Competition rate did that, and so this one does even with the graphic enhancements. That's kind of impressive. Um, it schooled every single one of the games we've played on how to do a game well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous that it takes something like Paradroid to do that, but it did. It was better in every conceivable way that it could be. Mm-hmm. And it was cheaper than all of them, I think, with the exception of maybe one. Yeah, but that was Speed Zone. <laughs> exactly. I mean, talk about, I mean, as, what did I feel like when I was playing it? Well, I was, you know, it's Paradroid, so I'm straight into it. I liked the graphic effect. Like, you like the graphic effect. The basic, mm. you know, it rounded the edges and added an extra dimension. Apparently, according to um, to an interview with Andrew Braybrook, he said that the heavy metal edition came about when I was writing Morpheus. I wanted to see what a game made out of the curved metal graphics might look like. It was early days in Morpheus, and it didn't really have its own game system yet. So I did one for a, did a one-for-one upgrade of the main spaceship interior graphics on Paradroid. It probably only took me a morning to do, but I was so pleased with the results <laughs> that we put that out too. It ran at the same 25 frames per second rate at the, as the competition edition. So he just did this to test something out in Morph- Morpheus. Liked it that much, he made it into this game. You don't mess with the classics, he didn't. Everything else plays out like it should. It's Paradroid. I mean, it just, but it just, after playing after all those crappy games, especially after things like Journey to the Center of the Earth, Speed Zone, even the Renegades and, and you know, Chicago 30s, it just came along and was just like a great big foot stomp from the past to say, you are doing crap. Do <laughs> yeah. better. Do better. Do better. And the because thing with, you need to. Yeah. And the thing that I, I sort of realized when, when playing this was like, I mean, we always like the, 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 the design and the simpleness of the sprites with the numbers on and everything like that. But the way... <sighs> the way that they work in a sort of representation period sort of really plays into the C64 strengths because the C64, you know, it's these 8-bit sprites, you know, with a few colours and stuff like that. You can't... We've seen some nice sprites and stuff, but... The, the way that these all work and they're instantly recognizable by those numbers is such a, go back to it and you're like, that's such a clever idea. It's yes. such a clever, clever idea to have just yes. numbers representing them. But the way they're drawn, the way they work, the health, I, we said it at the time when we reviewed it, it, it's an incredibly sort of well-designed, incredibly sort of engaging, you're instantly in, you know what you're yep. doing. The mini game as well is, is still a joy yep. to actually go through and play. Yeah, so clever. It's almost a perfect game, as far as I'm concerned. Paradox. It is, and um, this time I, I took I took more of a mental note because I, you know, because I, I played this game so much over time. Mm-hmm. These little bits that you sort of they're just they're going in and out of your mind. So when, just remember that obviously all the individual robots have uh, yes they look like a little round sort of sprite circles on the game, mm. but they each one have a robot designed for them, and you can go and check it out on the computer oh, yeah. and see what yeah, they yeah. look like. In the- so so by being able to do that means that you're not just seeing them as sprites. 
when you see the messenger robot scooting about and you go and check it out, it looks like that robot would be the one that did that. Yeah. It's little touches like that. To the speed it makes whip, this game. back and forth. And yeah. Going, yeah. And just giving you, giving you that ability to visualize it. So you don't need to know that it, what it looks like on the sprite as a controlling sprite because you've seen the robot in the, in the and you know what it looks like. And the way they upscale the robots in the numerical scale of them is their difficulty and their power. But also the robot starts to look more fierce and things like that. It's just when you get it right, you get it right. And this game got it right from the yeah, from the get-go. Massively. It was very cleverly designed. Um, and I really, really liked it. And my gosh, this game is such a lesson for all those people into yeah. who were heading into games design and games development courses and everything else. You would behoove you not to play one of the greatest game designs of all time, certainly of that era, which is Paradroid by a country mile. Yeah. Even down to like the risk the, the risk reward, but the the you know recharging cost you points so yep. it's that you know if you check if you score chasing you want to check as little damage as you can because you know do you risk not lowering your score and try and quickly find something to to more you know to take over or do yep. you actually know i'm nearly dead i need to power back up but then that cost you points so your points go down so you're playing against this high score low score mentality and all that you know it costs you points to recharge but they work in a way because you know, everything just it's so good it's just so good it's brilliantly brilliantly clever do you know I- even like you say, the mini game, just having the ability to choose which whether you're the purple or the yellow for that fraction of a time, you'd have to quickly assess am I is it beneficial for me to stay yellow? Yeah. Or should I go to purple? Where the arrows work, where some of them have got little purple or yellow arrows, so it's like a permanent thing and Yeah. Or they split or they get oh you need two for one or I mean, you could almost you could almost make an individual game out of just that. That could almost be a little mini game that you could have in its own right. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, in, in its own simple way. But you know, that is such a clever way of playing out the taking over of other robots it's just it's brilliantly done it really mm-hmm. is brilliant yeah so and, and, good. And so good i know we just keep going on about it but as well i'm always always in awe of the fact that the 2d side on of the ship works if you layer the levels on each other yes they yes. actually make that ship yep so the level yep. design of each each one you play across is is works on that three on that side on ship yep. so it, you can visualize like you said the way you visualize the robots is the way you suddenly visualize the ship in a 3d space yeah. because it looks like a ship it gets pointier towards yes. the front uh, you know just genius just genius yep. yeah yeah hats off to you um mr braybrook um because you really did you know create one of the greatest games i think of the 8-bit era there yeah i think so as well it's a stunning sudden achievement heavy metal power Absolutely. droid three quid but we just Bargain needed it. I think we quid. needed it after, <laughs> at this point, we just came I along and went, there you go. Is that secretly maybe why he released that? You know, he just thought he just changed the graphics a bit and released the same game and everyone's got, you know, and he just upped the, up the ante on a few of the other graphic improvements. Didn't do a lot to it. And it's just to come along and gone, you know, just kicked all the others really, really hard in the knackers. Really hard. <laughs> like upsettingly hard. You know. <laughs> With a heavy metal boot. Yeah. You know, the kind of kick when people around it go, ooh. <laughs> you know that moment in... Um, in um, three o'clock high, yeah, when he gets kicked in there, and he kick that guy. He tries to run into the fight at the end, and he gets kicked, and he just goes. Everyone go ooh, ooh. and just so his eyes go boss. He just sort of slumps to the side. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, three o'clock high is a movie. Go and watch it because it's brilliant, and you'll know the bit when you know. When you know, you know. When you know, you know. There you go. There we go. Cheered us up. Heavy metal paradroid. Nice game of the game of the week. Game of the month. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> Oh, there we go. Right. Uh, okay. What have we got next? Well, Graham, we have some uh, crap verts to look at. We do. I don't know what to make of this. Because... Is that really called Deja Vu 2? <laughs> Lost in Las Vegas. Is that like I... the stupidest name of ever? Deja Vu 2. I, I don't, a sequel I... to Deja Vu. I mean, it's, an, it's a beautiful irony. <laughs> have I played this before? <laughs> 
What is that? What is that? But what, what is, is it? it? What, what is it? Can um, you, I'll leave you to describe what you're looking at because I've well, seen it. <laughs> I mean, the game's called Deja Vu 2 Lost in Las Vegas. So there's an, an image of the Las Vegas Strip, or at least the old part of the Las Vegas Strip, which is a photograph, a bad, bad photograph, but yeah. a photograph nonetheless, I think. Mm-hmm. Then um, you've got you've got a white... Who is that? It's an image of a person. <laughs> it's like know. a statue. So it's like they've taken a picture of a statue. They've put some kind of in, in, like inside shading on it. So they've, they've shaded the inside, which is a tragedy, really, to do that. And that's just <laughs> hovering in the middle. So I don't know what... It's like a stone-carved face. But I don't know what it's about. It says play it again, Sam. So I guess it's something to do with um, uh, what, what, I can't remember what film play it again Sam is from, but that isn't it's anything Casablanca, to do with Vegas. It? It's Casablanca. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's nothing to do with Vegas at all. No. Um, it's to do with a bar in, you know, Sam's bar, I think he's even called, I think, anyway. Yeah, it but is. it's nothing to do with that. Um, so that's, that's, and it's Mindscape is the logo at the top right, which is the classic 3M logo of theirs. The play it again Sam typeface is completely different to the Deja Vu typeface, which is some kind of, it's the sort of thing that 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 um, kidnappers. It's a kidnappers typeface, really, but you know, kind of a newspaper clipping typeface, but with a blue drop shadow. It's it's not only that; it's got a stroke on it. I nearly had a stroke when I looked at it. <laughs> Underneath that, you've got the Lost in Las Vegas writing, which is a different font again, um, and has a trademark on it for reasons that nobody will ever know. No one knows. Um, and then at the bottom, you've got Icom, which is I'm guessing something to do with who made it. Um, and then down in the bottom left hand corner. A picture of an attacking dog, I think. Yeah. I don't know what it all means. Um, it's I don't get it. I don't know what that means. I don't understand. I, it's one of those things. You look at the more you look at it, the more it confuses your brain. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense any it level. Took, it took me a while to think. Do I put this in as a crap bit? The more I studied, studied it, I went, I can't not because I don't get it. I don't understand one element of it. Why is he so going to play it again, Sam? Like you said, which is from Casablanca, but this is about Vegas. And what is well, that cutout in the middle? The, the blurb there says, Welcome to the world of Deja Vu and to Las Vegas, the city that never sleeps. Isn't that... Isn't that San Francisco or LA? New York, I think. I or New, New York, York, yeah. A city, a city well, of excitement. Actually, you've already had plenty of excitement in the last 24 hours. You've been abducted by two thugs from Chicago. Grilled by the notorious Las Vegas mobster Tony Malone, knocked senseless and tossed into a bathtub in a cheap Vegas hotel. It couldn't possibly get any worse than this, or could it? Trust me, that sounds bad, bad <laughs> enough to me. It makes no nothing on that makes any visual sense. What? Up. I mean, Vegas is the only thing that's the coherency there. Everything yeah. else is completely nonsensical. Nothing makes sense. I don't get why there's an attacking <laughs> picture of a dog. I don't get it. I don't get it. Is it in my brain? <laughs> well, let's leave. Let's leave Vegas and go on to our next one. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Straight from the pages of the BBC Drama Drama Company <laughs> comes Mayday Squad with oh dear me typeface no. nightmares and oh, three no. and three no. members of what no. I can only assume are Mayday Squad. He's got more bullets over his shoulder than ever know. He looks like he's looking around because the guy to his top right has farted, and the the woman. With a headset on in the back left, he's, he's yeah. just got like the gun I think we use for haunting three. Oh, yeah, it's just some cheap crap. He's just holding a tube. Yeah, he's it's meant to be. I think it's meant to be some kind of high caliber weapon. I think it's the supposed- size of the bullets. Yeah, but those bullets wouldn't go in that. <laughs> they're massive. They're like M16 bullets, aren't they? Something. So it. I mean, shockingly, it looks to me like they've got actual para. Um, caps on there on their on their berets so it looks like they're wearing para, paras british paras berets Maybe. which is terrible i don't think that's that because that look that does look like their badge or it looks like certainly looks like royal navy marines something like that royal marines 
Um, so maybe that's you know what they're alluding to. I will tell you one thing I can tell you for a categorical fact: his watch on his wrist is not army issue. No way. <laughs> Neither is her gun. No, that's he's clearly gone to the you know gone to the Ratners and got himself a nice Seiko watch for his you know deep military mission. That isn't how you would hold a, a gun of that type either. That isn't no, that isn't going to work like that. Not very well. You're not going to be able to aim it very well like that. I- I also want to know why behind them there's just a door floating in in, in nothing because there's no wall. <laughs> no, it's a spooky door. And then don't even get me started on the typeface. I mean, goodness me. They've got a, a chiseled metal type font at the top with – they're cheese holes. They're not bullet holes, <laughs> but they're meant to be bullet holes shot in it. And so Mayday has got bullet holes in it, badly done as well. Too many, too many bullet holes. They don't look like bullet holes. And then the squad writing underneath that is completely different typeface and they've used a lightning bolt for the – little tick on the queue mm. which wouldn't have which wouldn't work in that because it's kind of a military stencil type of, just everything's wrong and then to add to conf- extra confusion there's this target um target reticules on there that are at the wrong angle <laughs> no, your reticule doesn't change like <laughs> it that it has to re- you know the idea of it having a level across the middle is so that it remains level so you can sort of you know pitch it on a horizontal and vertical plane it doesn't yeah. tilt Unless you, I suppose, unless you're rotating the view, and maybe it would then. But why would you do that? But but um, but oh, the plot. Hey, when the diplomats stop talking, there's only one alternative: the Mayday Squad. Personally, oh, this elite, highly trained UN anti-terrorist force on its most perilous mission: the rescue of the ambassador's daughter held captive in the besieged Lutonian embassy. <laughs> Lutonian. Lutonia. <laughs> is that in Luton, is it? <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> Oh, ah, the dear. Lutonians. The Lu- <laughs> this crazy Lutonian stealing the ambassador's daughter. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, you've got a, well, modified first-person perspective shows all the, I don't know what modified first-person perspective means, um, shows all the blazing combat action as the Mayday Squad battles the Red Legion in a life-or-death race mm. against the Sunset Deadline. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. It's by Tynesoft, so it must be good. It's a role-playing ad- arcade. It's a role-playing arcade something simulation. Or simulation. With, with physical and mental, mental challenge. challenge. Uh, yeah, mentally challenged. It's Tynesoft. I know. As well, fuck on the Tynesoft. So it's, you know, it's probably going to have loads of multi-event military games in it. <laughs> probably. Um, I'm still querying why she's wearing a one-ear, you know, she DJing or something that one <laughs> back because she's got like one headphone on. Why would she have that? Why would she? Why would anyone have that? If you're going, you know, all those guns, you're never going to hear anything. If you've got gunfire going off, and it's very loud. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not yeah. going to be able to hear anything over that. That isn't helping anyone. No, it's not a good advert. Terrible. It's not good. Terrible, uh, terrible. And finally, the last one. It's had me laughing my head off. So this is for Kenny Daglish's soccer manager. Um, oh, dear. The thing that made me laugh on this is that the guy in red at the front is seemingly launched the guy in blue into orbit. It's knocks him back with such <laughs> such thingy. But also, in the back left of the mate of the drawed picture, where's that guy running to? <laughs> <laughs> it's just that's it. He's had enough. He's <laughs> just running. He's <laughs> just off. Oh my I'm Lord. bored. What is this nonsense? Uh, so yeah, Kelly Daglish's soccer manager. I don't mind the top. It's obviously got a Kelly Daglish sort of signature soccer manager. The O's in soccer's been changed for football. It's got that kind of, of sort of. No, it's kind of that sort of. What do you call it? That sort of eighties skyline, sort of shading, kind of filled in. Yeah, and, it's sort of thing you'd see in arcades. Actually, that you see a lot yeah, of that kind of shading on arcades. It, that's so not terrible. That. There's a picture of Kenny Daglish, which is not the best picture of Kenny Daglish. I imagine they could have got. 
Uh, no. Does it need that picture of Kenny Daglish? Do, do people forget what he looks like, generally? No, not at the time. I mean, Kenny Daglish was, was probably, you know, one of, if Isn't not the biggest name in, in, yeah. in UK football. Uh, yeah, but then the main guy. image is a drawing of a team in red, obviously playing the team in two, and there's two people gone in for a tackle. And the guy in blue is just seemed to be so shocked he's just been flung backwards. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> there's, there's so much wrong. The ball, the ball has been hit so hard it's got speed lines. Uh, there's a guy in the background just running off somewhere, and there's two guys. What one? Do, one just I don't know what's going on with their legs. <laughs> there's two in the middle. No, no, they're they're playing some kind of legsy, aren't they? It's just disappeared. Look, the guy, the blue guy's leg, it goes behind his thigh and then just stops. Well, yeah, I mean, just just look at the feet. That guy who's actually <laughs> kicking the ball is is. Left foot is gone. It's broken. I mean, that's broke. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, point, your, your it's, leg, it's pointing your, sideways. Does it point your, that your, way? Yeah, you need to bend that way. <laughs> no, it's it, that's broken. No wonder he's looking a bit, you know, and his hair is inexplicable. Both of the hair. He's got <laughs> yeah. high hair and huge foreheads going on here. Um, now, the ball the ball has clearly got string hanging off it because it's not blurry. It would be blurry. That would imply movement. So it's just, it would, it's, just yeah, yeah. So it's, got, it's got water on it, I think. That's water dripping off it. So it's just it's obviously raining on the pitch. Um, it's vibrating, I've noticed as well. He's got, they've both got heavy vibration as well. They've got vi- sort of vibrating marks. Um, and his, his arm is a, kind of, is a kind of left wing, really. It's kind of turned to a sort of chicken wing. It's, it's, it's broken. It, I tell you, he's got a broken arm and a broken leg. He has, and it? And it and it called me old fashioned, but it looks to me like he might have might just it looks like he's got three fingers on his left hand, but I think he has got four. But his thumb, he's tiny. So a tiny little thumb. The right boot of the guy in blue as well. Just you can just see it poking down at the bottom there. I'm not quite sure what that is. It looks like it's his foot, but his foot's pointing backwards. <laughs> his, his foot's pointing backwards, or it's put it's just been embedded into the ground. Well, yeah, well look at the red guy behind him between his legs. His foot he's got a double foot. He's got one leg with two feet on it. <laughs> so he's got a pod, he's got a monopod. <laughs> Just I mean, did, did Liverpool, I'm guessing the red guys of the Liverpool team, did they play with a monopodic player at any point? Uh, was that, that an was, advantage for them? <laughs> that was the ill-fated 87-88 season, I think. <laughs> Where they got the... You know, I'm not saying that... Any, you don't talk any, about. <laughs> any ability level, you know, football is an amazing sport. People of all physical types and characteristics can play. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying that in this image, there's a depiction there of a, of a, one, a man with one leg and two feet on it. And that's got to be complicated for even buying the equipment for that. <laughs> I just don't know where that guy's running to in the background. Everything's it's just cause, off. Because those two are watching, obviously watching this tackle happen and thinking, oh, but he's just legging it. He's just running. <laughs> he's playing yeah. no attention. I'm running. Off. I'm off. <laughs> what team is that in the blue, by the way, that they're against? Is that maybe Everton? Could be probably. It's probably Everton at Liverpool yeah, and Everton. Probably. Yeah, well, it's, the, it's, nondescript, the- it's nondescript reds versus nondescript blues because we I mean, can't play for me, a for right? license. I'm not meaning to look at this. Is it me or is is the guy in blue? His balls are bulging really badly in his shorts, <laughs> and you can almost see see the crack of his you know his leg crack. <laughs> I'm trying not to look. It's quite, that's quite high, isn't it? I mean, it's you know it's very it's well drawn. You know, that's probably what would happen. He's clearly ripped his shorts a little bit there, Football but that's you know, that's, a, that's quite... a view up his. I'm almost looking at his dinner. <laughs> Don't want to do that. <laughs> that's that's why he's holding his hand up to block the image. Look, that's why he's got his hand up. His left hand's like, hey. Yeah, it does look. He's got. He's formed a fist, so he's clearly coming in to punch that guy right in the right in the bum cheek. <laughs> Just been nice. fired backwards. He's going out the exactly. stadium. And Kenny approves. Look at that. He's got an approval face going on, and he, you know that Could is. They not have found you can tell us eighties. Remember, that is eighties footballer hair do though, isn't it? They didn't care at that point nowadays. You know, it's all about the hairdo, but this guy. It was like back then. It was the fringe can just go wild. Doesn't matter whatever the fringe is. It doesn't matter. It looks like his head looks a bit like a coconut. Doesn't matter. It's coconut hair. 
That's how uh, I draw hair. That's how bad that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a series of jagged lines. Yes, exactly that. Yeah. It, it, it was coloring in with a brown felt tip and it started to run out. That's what happened there. True. Oh, there we go. That's Kenny Deglucci's <laughs> soccer manager. Three good crap birds to end off May. Yes. cheering us. Let's go and uh, look at the chart. What's going on in the chart? Well, at number 10... Uh, down to number 10 is Operation Wolf. Okay. Uh, down to number nine is Afterburner. Mm-hmm. Uh, a new entry on the Kicks label is Supercycle. Okay. I was playing that again the other day, actually. It's really good. Mm. Um, uh, up to number seven, Micropro Soccer. Yeah, down to number six higher. is Veclamons. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, down to number five. Yeah, down to number five, sorry, is uh, World Games on the Kicks label. That's an amazing um, budget game, that. Yeah, staying in at number four is In Crowd. The hell was that? It's a compilation. Compilation, right. Up to number three is Emily Hughes' International Soccer. Okay. Has that come out blue again? Has that gone back up? Uh, It's gone up from number six. So I think it's, you know, football season, it's best football game, that and micro soccer. Um, Down from number one to number two is Dragon Ninja. And up to Mm. number one from number two is Robocop. Ocean, they're having the most games for. They've got a few out there, but they've got a lot in that chart. Yeah, they have. Um, going downwards, and uh, number 11 is Double Dragon. Oh, Daenerys dear. in with a new entry at number 12. Werewolf okay. of London, a Mastertronic, oh, new entry at 13. No. <laughs> I don't know what that is. is that based Simu- on the 60s song? <laughs> Maybe. Ski Simulator at number 14. Tomcat, wow. is okay. it 15? Turbo Esprit, people bought it. Is it number oh, 16? We oh, warned dear, them. Oh, we warned we them 30 warn years them. in the future. Unbelievable. But we tried, we tried to. Chart. Uh, new entry again. There's the double. Still wait for that to load. <laughs> yeah. uh, up to number eighteen is Batman. Surprised that didn't do better. Um, mm. But Batman wasn't that big that back then, there was it? That's the thing we no. have to remember. Yeah. Not until later this year does Batman become a big deal. Down to number nineteen uh, is International Rugby Simulator. Mm, <clears throat> and finally, uh, re- no, down to number twenty from Encore Commando. Okay. There we go. That's what's going on. Next week or next month, uh, there's not many games out. I think we've only got 12 for this. It's two sixes. So what have we got? Uh, Danger Freak. Okay. Uh, Forgotten Worlds. Oh, gosh. That's another US Gold tier text game, isn't it? I think so. Uh, Hillsfar. Um, that's okay. a bit. I think that's a big um, sort of Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game, I think. Right, okay. Um, Las Vegas Casino. Oh, that, that sounds bad. Um, Muncher. Right. Octoplex. Okay. Uh, para Assault Course. Oh, that's going to be, be a, like that other assault course. That's going to be another com- combat school knockoff. Yeah. It? I bet. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Um, Real Ghostbusters. Oh dear. Uh, Rockstar ate my hamster. Right. Speedball. Okay. Okay. Um, Titan. That one. <laughs> that crap. Oh, Titan mascot. <laughs> that's that crap Hello, movie. So it is. Yeah. Um, and dear. finally, Xenon. Okay. That's it. I think that's right. it. Let's just have a check, but I think I think that is it. I think that sounds like it. I don't lie, it's not a lot, is it? Not really. But then again, that is the thing with this year. It does the games do start to drop off. They um, do. So there's not a lot we can do. Um, it is what it is. Um, yeah, 
Anyway, but we've got those coming next month. What? Uh, anything you want to add about May, Graham? Well, not really, no, because it's been a bit of a disaster area, hasn't it? I mean, don't get me wrong, there's been a gem in there, hasn't there? Because um, we had um, Grand that bomb- Prix Circuit. No, that was last month. That was April. Was that last month? Oh, well, yeah. that's then. I'm trying to think what we've had this month. I think the actual e- best game good. I've enjoyed the most this month is Bomb Fusion. Bomb Fusion, yeah, actually, yeah. Thinking about it, what we had, we've got what? Silkworm, Turbo Esprit, Bomb Fusion, Action Service was rubbish, Bomb Fusion, oh dear me, what a list. Yeah. Human Killing Machine was crap. Silkworm was okay. Run the Gauntlet wasn't terrible, I suppose, if you're looking yeah. for you know, multi-event. That's it, those three, isn't it? That's, that's it. Goodness me, that's, that is a lot of rubbish. Yep. US Gold, you're responsible for a great proportion of that, you cheapskates. <laughs> realm of the Trolls, remember the fun we had walking <sighs> around the Realm of the Trolls? That was I fun, don't want it? to remember it. Just bad as some of the crap we've had to play for this particular episode. Thank God Paradroid came in and went, look how you should do it. Look how good games are made. Mm, Take right. note, people. Take note. Yeah, indeed. Terrible. Um, so, yeah, that, no, that is it. That is it for, yeah, there's only those six, 12 games next uh, next month. Not sure how good any of them are going to be. Although, you know, Cotton Worlds gets a sizzler. Speedball gets a sizzler. Have to wait and see. Uh, I don't have anything to add. I mean, it's just been a crap. A crap load of games. Yep. <laughs> been like nothing particularly good to actually get your teeth into. And like you said, thank God Paradroid came along because uh, just yeah, reminded exactly. me. It's one of those things, you know, you, you know, like we saw with um, Grand Prix Circuit. You just come along and you get Heavy Metal Paradroid and you're like, oh, God, this is what they can do. Stop yeah. trying to ape the Amiga. I think it's really annoying yeah. at the moment that we're seeing these I know it's the time sort of thing, but these 16 to 8-bit D-makes like Roger yep. Rabbit and so many of them were seeing that Terrapods and, oh, yeah. can- and Journey to the Centre of the Earth. Rubbish. Uh, just just don't do it. Play to the machine's strength. Bomb Fusion, look what it did, you know. Yep. Simple, single-screen little idea that was really cool. Absolutely. But, you know. Oh, well, I'm sure maybe things will pick up in June. Maybe, who knows, who knows. Maybe. Who dares to dream. Right. On that note, I think we should sign off, go home, and uh, leave the people to the rest of their day and whatever you are doing. So on that note, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Ruddings. Um, and we have been slowly journeying to the centre of the earth. And hopefully we may come back and you'll see us again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.